this is this is this is ultimately Jack. You have to admit why you have us on. I don't know what else to tell you. Pure buffoons. <laughs> to be fucking chimps. <laughs> to be Gibbons, a brace of Gibbons on your podcast. Much like the people who ruined our blonde screening. <laughs> This is the opening. I forgot that we I forgot we didn't tell people about the old couple at Blonde. Yeah. So nobody knows what I'm talking about no, on the podcast. We skipped, that we skipped it. Out. No. Fuck. All right. Oh, God. Oh, All right. God. Well, I think that's plenty. Let's go get a beer. Oh, <laughs> Hello and welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast about the movies from the 2010s. I'm Jack Draper. With me is not Clay Williams, uh, but it's our guest here today, Scott DeFoya, Tucker Johnson. Lovely to have you guys back. Thank you with for us. the love of God for <laughs> agreeing to have us back on after Somehow, <laughs> after, performance after a lot of news. Do, do, do you do many like, episodes where you're like out in the wild, where you're like you're recording live on the scene or whatever? Occasionally, yeah, but, okay. but like once or twice, this is not, not a... Uh, uh, regular occurrence at all uh we're we're, to, we're all together for this one this is exciting it's yeah. amazing we didn't get you blacklisted from <laughs> I, I i was i was uh, thinking the, this I think ultimately often. what it proves is that the people think i'm funny and think all of my ricardo's bits are hysterical <laughs> yeah yeah we were it was, it was a heavy snowfall that day i think that made us a little delirious that's true. What? Yeah. That's true. Yeah. We went, yeah. What part did we go to after we finished recording? It was because uh, you were putting me on a plane. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We did. We we took you to. We went to a brewery real quick, and then we took you to put you on the airport. And now you're back. Now I'm back from whatever. Yeah, seven months ago, I finally got back. We got you back. From, oh gosh, <laughs> you need a napkin. Brando's Island. We we saved you. Oh boy. <laughs> We're here for uh, for for Lincoln for in this is honor of uh, the Fablemans. We figured that you guys suggested Lincoln to us before we did Prometheus Alien Covenant and this one seemed as good as any to do before Fablewinds came out and to celebrate Spielberg's 2010s career but before we go fully into Lincoln um, usually we've been starting every episode or well we've been starting every episode with what we've been watching recently uh, I I think that you guys had something in mind for for, for, for this part. We can leave the we can leave the theater experience out of it. But we, we did go. We really wanted to see Blonde on the big screen because Scott and I are both very big Andrew Dominic fans. We went and saw. We were very fortunate. We got to see. Um, this much I know to be true. This much I know to be true. Mm-hmm. At the Brattle, the famous Brattle Theater in Boston or in Cambridge, rather. Um, an incredible, incredible experience. The two of us were just weepy afterwards. Insane, insanely good stuff. And Blonde is very much a piece of that movie because a lot of the music that wound up being performed in This Much I Know to Be True is on the soundtrack to Blonde. And so they are kind of the bizarre flip side of one another because Blonde, on the one hand, is nothing but artifice. And This Much I Know is an attempt to kind of get rid of artifice. That you even see the, the dolly track that the camera is riding to let everybody know what kind of, you know, technique will be on display and all that. It, uh, you know, both very overwhelming experiences. Blonde can be successful, and I think at its best it is quite successful, and it's certainly an overwhelming experience. Um, it really is a movie that kind of sucks you into its mise-en-scene just so you can kind of toil with its heroine for as long as they'll let you. Um, an honorable experiment, um, uh, 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 something of a mean-spirited one, mm. but, um, you know, I, I think... But then I guess, does that does that mean the mean-spiritedness 
equals success? And, and are those two? Oh, I think I think I think when you set out to very very coarsely examine symbols that are so important to the American identity. I mean, clearly Dominic has styled himself in the vein of Michael Cimino and Francis Ford Coppola and guys like that who were deliberate iconoclasts, certainly Scorsese's in that same conversation. You do want to kind of rub people the wrong way. You want to perturb people. You want to get a reaction out of looking at the ugliness of the things that were, you know, taken for granted for so long as being whatever. I think I think maybe you run into trouble from a uh, intention perspective point of view, when you think about somebody like Marilyn Monroe, because the kind of the the shine of the perfection of her image was taken off so long ago. I mean, by this point, we've lived through dozens and dozens of TV movies and Bruce Connors' Marilyn Time Five, and just we, you know, and certainly Joyce Carol Oates' book on which this is based is twenty years old. I mean, I, I kind of had the same thought about Don't Worry, Darling, which I haven't seen yet, but it's. Mm-hmm. Why are you trying to make a movie about how the American experiment wasn't actually this perfect, beautiful thing? It's like, well, yeah, we know that. Blue Velvet was 40 fucking years ago. (laughs) Like, it doesn't... But so thankfully, and we talked about this right when we left the movie, if it hadn't been so visually interesting and so visually stimulating and so fucking beautiful to behold so much of the time... It isn't a movie that I don't think that either of us would probably want to defend or or really even talk about. Yeah, the the way we put it was the same film in a less talented director's hands would be, I mean, it'd be gobbledygook. It would be nonsense. It 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 wouldn't work. I mean, you know, you think about in the early 2000s, like a lot of these movies kind of did their best numbers on Netflix, things like Lovelace or the, you know, that one Steve Jobs movie, like they were dueling Steve Jobs movies. And the thing is, hell yeah, all of them. D- <laughs> what a time, right? Honestly, d- <laughs> and so it's all just—it's all a matter of, of whose hands you're in, because it's not like you're going to get revelations from this thing. You're just like, oh wow, I had no idea that Marilyn Monroe's life was difficult. Like, well, no, we all do because that shit is public knowledge. Public, yeah, right, right. So viewing it as a visual experiment, I think, is the way forward, and I think that that does nice things. The difference between somebody like David Lynch, who does all these things in order to basically unearth his own obsessions and problems and stuff like that, versus somebody like Dominic, who's very obviously playing with secondhand ideas, is if the movie... I've also heard Blind compared to JFK. Oh, sure, yeah, there's a little Oliver Stone in there. I mean, the thing is, there's one scene where she's with JFK, which I think is why all those comparisons are coming out. I think without that, right, you probably wouldn't right. have the same kind of a thing. Because Blonde is a photographic study is a thousand times different than any Oliver Stone films. I mean, mm-hmm. Robert Richardson's photography, I mean, it's like you're looking at an interrogation. All of those movies, Nixon and, you know, Natural Born Killers mm-hmm. and JFK, those movies all look like, you know, you're being... <laughs> like a cop is shining a flashlight in your face at two in the morning for a fucking DUI. But um, Even Casino, to an extent, yeah. Well, that's true, yeah, a different director, but you're right. I mean, Robert Richardson's yeah. lighting is always Robert Richardson's yeah. lighting, which is yeah. very funny because he's worked with some of the most specific directors in the world, yeah. and yet he's kind of the one who gets final yeah, cut. the style <laughs> remains. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I think I think a flawed film, um, an interesting one, uh, certainly a beautiful one, his his camera work was has, has almost never been so sort of involving. It's it, 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 it does, you know, it does beckon you in, even as it actively repels you with the sights that you're seeing, but... I think as as a piece of visual art, pretty unimpeachable. As a as a text about America, there are there are issues. Yeah, yeah. Blonde's definitely like I, I said it earlier. I don't know if it's accurate or not, but it feels this way that it's it's a biopic by way of Terrence Malick. There's a lot of mm. like narration and like kind of fleeting camera moves and visual poetry, and so I think that alone is going to turn a lot of people off. Certainly, from Blonde. They're they're going to be like what. 
Speaking of turnoffs, it'll be fascinating to see whose moms and dads will be looking at this. And, <laughs> and, yeah. and Marilyn Monroe biopic. What do we have? Well, and, I mean, and, we can speak from experience yeah. that um, a guy was at our screening with two teen boys. He was clearly <laughs> their chaperone of some sort. And about an hour in, I mean, honestly, I, 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 I have to think that those kids were trying to pull a fast one on their old man. They're like, yeah, no, it's for history. And instead, it's just, you know, two hours of a topless actress. And yeah. then it's like, yeah, it's great. Yeah. But then the dad at one point... No, no, turned, dad, we can stay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, an hour and ten minutes into the movie, they turned to the, the... The dad turned to the kids and was like, you watching this? Let's get out of here. And they all left. There's a Top Gun Maverick showing right there. <laughs> you just go see Maverick. <laughs> you guys want to go see Maverick? He's the Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's a quote on him. It's a quote. Top Gun Maverick. Um... <laughs> Anyway, other that movie that, failed. That movie failed at the box office. Yeah. Talking about Maverick? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It, it didn't make nothing. It made nothing. Yeah, yeah it's, no it's a damn shame. It just it, it didn't. Yeah, it didn't take man. off yeah, anywhere. You know, people don't like planes. <laughs> it's weird. People don't like planes. It didn't it's take, take off. Is that what you said? It's awesome. All right. Um, yeah. I other than that, I'm trying to think of anything that's like especially great lately. I'm doing like a couple of New York Film Festival things right now, so I've mm. seen um, uh, Ben Russell's Against Time, which is excellent. Um, Mark Chenwick's decision to leave is really oh, good. Yes. Um, Mark Jenkins' Ennisman is excellent. Um, and I know there's a couple of things that I'm forgetting, but who cares? Uh, oh, Bertrand Bardello's Coma is really, really good. So there you go. That's my, mm. that's my, my new report. That's the one about the girl raised by deaf parents. Deaf parents. <laughs> Sorry, those are Oh, fuck you. Fuck <laughs> you. I just got... I'm, ugh. I'm steamed right now. I should leave, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'm steamed. You should leave. The door. The door. <laughs> the door. Can we just fully in the door? Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> the Simpsons, the car. Crusty <laughs> <laughs> poses for trading car. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, uh, it'll be off Criterion Channel by the time this comes out. Bummer. For, for September, when it was on Criterion Channel, one of Paul Newman's breakout roles was Somebody Up There Likes Me. Oh, sure. And, I, and, I, and it, I'm beginning to think Robert Wise is one of those great journeymen that can make any solid, tight script work. It's very character-driven and it has this, this core of of what it what it means to to get by in America and this has a lot of relation to the setup which is one of like I- incredible fascinating movies that I've ever seen and and this one is like Paul Newman trying to like uh, before Raging Bull and Rocky like having a lot of shades of those in the uh, 60s I think and this one is is great showing how he went from jail time criminal to to like very renowned boxing legend and in his time in the in the military mm-hmm. uh very 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 good it's yeah it's uh, i don't know i don't know if you had a chance to see any of ethan hawk's film about paul newman um, I, I i it's on the list yeah okay yeah, yeah. well i mean yeah. not to say that you know but, but it's really good. yeah it's yeah. really fucking good but there's also a great moment because they have scorsese on there talking about paul newman and how important it was and you and you kind of you know grab that obviously because movies like raging bull don't seem possible without something like hud but the best part of that whole documentary is when Martin Scorsese is like, and of course he's got that, that great movie Slapshot. And when I was like, yes! <laughs> vindication. Sweet vindication. God, but we love Paul Newman. Yeah. Um, 
at some point there will be an unloved on the drowning pool which is one of my favorites mm -hmm. um i love that film so much and it just every time at bat we've been we've been talking about rewatching the verdict because that's mm -hmm. one of the great boston movies yeah but uh, Truly. yeah uh he can make any any great director work like Sidney Lumet and George Roy Hill no, it's you know, so he worked with everybody. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about Robert Wise as a journeyman, and I think that that's true. But I, I, you know, it's funny. I think that a lot of people would bristle at that because his reputation to most people is the guy who made the haunting West Side Story, blah blah blah. You know, big big fucking movies. You know, white elephant art all the way through. But the other thing too is that Wise's reputation is very complicated because he sold Orson Welles down the river, for which he will never be forgiven in the eyes of a lot of people, um, and understandably so because that was a dick thing to do. But then, you know, I think he made a lot of really great horror movies for uh, Val Luton in the in the 40s for RKO. But again, that's yeah. the kind Odds of... Against thing. Tomorrow is great, Odds too. Against Tomorrow yeah. is exactly that yeah. kind of big thing yes. where they've got the ending that's clearly taking from Raul Walsh's White Heat and all that, where it's like navigating the demands of the B-movie but trying to present it in A-picture fashion. I mean, mm -hmm. that was the kind of the Robert Wise brand yeah. for a long yeah. time. Richard Fleischer kind of tried to do that, but Richard Fleischer never lost to the B-movie scrappiness. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, Robert Wise, an interesting study. You know, yeah. Joe Dante brings him up all the time as the kind of director who could do yeah. anything and yeah. how little credit you get for being able to do that. But, anyway. He's just not someone that you normally see, at least I didn't know about Dante, that I see people cite. Not anymore. Uh, no, uh, he uh, was you for know, all the 90s, but he isn't anymore. Star Trek, the motion picture, and, and things like West Side Story and, exactly. and The Haunting are great. But nobody cites uh, Wise, and and that well, is so interesting. You're right about it's that. like the, yeah. the the notoriety of the film itself kind of overshadows anyone that had anything yeah. to do with it. Well, right. So the thing that I was going to say was I was talking about West Side Story with my friend, a film professor who teaches at CUNY, and he was saying that um, I was like, oh well, I like this, this, and that about the original West Side Story. He goes, that was all Jerome Robbins. <laughs> Who was who was who? The choreographer. Choreographer. Yeah. But he worked on the movie. It was like, you know he worked on everything. He talked about the lighting scheme and the, you know this and that. The Robert Wise was essentially a conduit to the people who had made the Broadway show what it was, and then they were making it. You know, because I mean at that point you got seven degrees of greatness that you're working through. All you got to do is turn the fucking camera on at that point. But you do, you do, and to, to Wise's credit, you do have to be open to that shit. Certainly, that's you true. You have yeah. to be the guy who's yeah. like. You know, okay, yeah, no, you're right. In you're order to expert. be great, you have to be collaborative. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, you know, it's a collaborative art, as they yes. told us at useless fucking Emerson. <laughs> Gonna bleep that out. Uh, but I think... Are they a sponsor this week? Yeah, right, honestly. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Emerson. Emerson College. Emerson College. Emerson on the Common. Emerson, Emerson on the Common. <laughs> Join us by the common. Join us for just four hundred and fifty million dollars. You too can go to school. <laughs> uh, that's exactly the script reading. That's wow, that's, yeah, that's yeah, thank you. No, we're, so we're I'm, taking you know, care of your ads. Baby. That's right. Yeah, I am a trade actor. So, <laughs> uh, somebody up there likes me. Yeah, it was great, and I, I was. It was just at this point, I've seen a handful of Robert Wise, and it was really him that it was that name that I was like instantly attracted to and paul newman of course like being mm -hmm. an early role what do the early roles look like for great actors did you want to share blonde as like as something you've been watching recently or did you have something else on your mind it's okay if you don't it's we can move on let's well, uh, rather than waste air time i'll go with <laughs> blonde because I've, I've been like just trying to absorb criterion channel as much as i can yeah yeah um i mean in in the vein of paul newman i had never seen hud 
Oh, yeah, and me then, neither. And then yeah. I finally did because they, they have it, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and I mean, that was, I mean... Okay. That yeah. performance. That's good. That yeah. fucking yeah. performance. Yeah. It's Martin Martin Ritt, like Robert Wise, and Stanley Kramer, frankly. Stanley Kramer, yeah. yeah we're, we're guys that kind of had this 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 intention to kind of... <laughs> Arthur, Arthur Penn. Arthur Penn kind of... So, Arthur Penn I, was a little more of a punk rock guy than, mm-hmm. than Martin Ritt. Martin Ritt, for all of his firebrands, we're making liberal movies in Hollywood now, attitude, he was pretty down the plate with most of what he did. I mean, HUD is probably the most radical thing that he did other than maybe, like, Sounder. Well, that, even that has that kind of schmaltzy score and all that. I don't know. Rit and Wise, there's like this, you know, you can feel them kind of losing elbow room with Hollywood where they're like, okay, we, they're, they're, there's more here, but they weren't really all that invested in finding it. I mean, by the time you get to Norma Ray, right, which is a great 70s movie, it's clear that he's run out of ideas. That it's just like, okay, well, that's the end of Martin Ritt, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, that's where... all I needed to say. Yeah, I mean, it's true. And 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 he had, he, you know, he had he had worked his way through the Hollywood system to the point where he was making a movie that feels like a documentary, right? And then John Sayles takes over and does it better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, well, well meaning. But did you ever see um, the outrage, which was Martin Ritt's? Uh, remake of Rashomon. I know it. Is. Yeah, I haven't, but I, I know it is. Yeah, I, I mean the that. perfect kind of movie to diagnose the things wrong with Martin Ritt, the things that he wants to do versus the things that he can't do. And speaking of Paul Newman, Paul Newman plays a Mexican bandit in that movie. Huh. <laughs> Inspired. Yeah, certainly. Inspired. Certainly. But uh, that's that's again. That's why um, that's why I come back to things like uh, sometimes a great notion, which he took over directing and almost killed himself drinking while he was directing it. <laughs> great movie. Uh, there's a great scene where um, Richard Jekyll, I guess, gets trapped under a log. They cut a tree down and it traps him. And so Paul Newman has about three minutes to save him, where he's going to drown. It's just like a heartbreaking scene. Um, but uh, you know that and Slapshot and mm-hmm. Drowning Pool, these kind of great hungover movies about trying to make a difference but realizing you can't essentially. Mm-hmm. That's God fucking Slapshot is the best movie ever made. Yeah, Fuck you, Brandon! It might be. <laughs> well, the thing that I I loved most about HUD was HUD was another movie. I had never seen Sweet Smell of Success until college. Sure. And, wow. and I was reminded of Sweet Smell. I mean like I own it and watch it yeah, all, all the time. Yeah. yeah. But like Criterion Channel just had a James Wong Howe like Oh sure, God, yeah. And yeah. of course Sweet Smell is in there and, and it was like re- reminding me like, oh yeah, this is one of those things where I'm you know, you grow up as a as a person that likes movies and loves movies and wants to just watch them all and you're surrounded by people who who constantly talk about how old movies are boring or, you know, n- they're too schmaltzy or whatever. Right, right. And then you see movies like Sweet Smell and HUD where it's like, no, 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 there was Something going on. Well, I mean, that's the thing is the more that you watch it, the more the myth of the stodgy older movie becomes nonsense. It's that people are all watching the same six films because those are the things that are playing on TCM in the middle of the day. You're you're watching Wizard of Oz and, and, you know, It's a Wonderful Life. Or, or, yeah. Which are great No, that's the thing. Exactly. Nothing against those movies. There's nothing wrong with them inherently. It's just that people get the wrong stylistic impression of what movies were before Brando. Every old movie is just like there to to make you feel good exactly it's like no no no. (laughs) (laughs) fucking William Wellman and Howard Hawks they didn't really want to make you feel good all that often just because feel good messages weren't in the text doesn't mean they were in there in their tone Steven Spielgood yeah Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I'm obscenely proud of myself for that one you grew. You grew in height. I grew in height. I'm yeah. six feet tall You're now. Six feet. You are the size of Daniel Day-Lewis. That's right. That's right. Speaking of uh, Wes's story and Robert Wise with Kushner and Spielberg, of course, um, 
I guess that's a good enough segue. I forgot to mention that Clay isn't feeling well. That's why he's not here. I, I didn't say that. Uh, that would be random. If, if right, yeah. He's uh, in the trunk of your car. Your trunk of mine. Your uh, car. Yeah. We didn't want to fight for airtime, no. so we murdered him. Yeah. <laughs> no. We are so fucking funny. It's... The idea of sharing space with more than one other person is frankly anathema to our whole thing. You know what they say. Uh, three's company, four's a crowd. <laughs> Which is... That's why he's not here now. <laughs> he's in the trunk of the car. In earnest, though, we hope he feels better. Yeah. Certainly. Play, we love you. We're sorry you couldn't be here. But also, you don't want to you know, be in this disgusting apartment. <laughs> it's just less you're going to have to explain to the police. Exactly. Yeah, right, right. When they come by later, and they will. Yeah, when we hear a knock at the door, that's when we can stop this goddamn episode. If I may briefly plug myself, my first fiction film is called A Knock at the Door. You can watch it now on Vimeo. <laughs> Tucker shot it for me. <laughs> Anyway, we're here to yeah, talk anyway, about Lincoln. Yeah, so <laughs> Steven Spielberg's Lincoln, uh, I, I, an under, like we discussed before, we started recording an underrated decade in Spielberg's career. People won't go to this that often when discussing Spielberg like other decades will. I think that nostalgia plays a part of this, but you guys go. Uh, what's your experience in your relationship with Lincoln? Well, it's funny to hear you say the word underrated because I, you know, I don't necessarily disagree, but it's extremely funny to, like, Steven Spielberg is, like Hitchcock, he's just the other guy you think of when you think of movies. You're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> kind of go see a Spielberg film. Right. And it's just right. what everybody assumes. So it's like, I mean, obviously it's nonsense to think of. When you it think is funny. No, I don't disagree that it's underrated either. No, no, no. But I think, I think in 2022, Lincoln is kind of underrated, even though this had, this made a lot of money. Well, this we had were, a lot of Oscar nominations. We were you know? talking about this that we were we were we were watching this before the podcast aired, and we were talking about the fact that there are there are things we don't know about this movie, and that is because it wasn't a huge popular success. Right. Yeah. You know, the the idea of a movie that comes out and isn't so picked apart by popularity mm. that you can't readily find out all that much about it. Right. We were trying to figure out where, just where they shot it. Exactly. And that's not the kind of thing that, like, seeped into the groundwater of film discourse because it wasn't a huge, like, kind of populist hit in the same way. that Like, I remember at the time the response to Lincoln was well-meaning but stuffy. You know, like, it was exactly the kind of... It's a dad movie. It is a dad movie. It was like a prestige thing. It was like a down-the-plate prestige thing made to make awards and all that. I remember walking into Lincoln thinking, like, oh, we'll see what happens, right. you know? Because at that point, the last Spielberg I'd seen, we'd both seen, was War Horse, which we both loved, and yeah. everyone else was like... And it was a year prior? Year prior. Yeah, 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 right. yeah he did yeah. it like that, yeah. you know? Yeah, 10 the same year. Yeah, 10 yep. the mm-hmm. same year. That was a crazy fucking yeah. period. Good God. <laughs> I mean, that, that, remind, that brings to mind my two babies. My favorite Spielbergs are... Minority Report and Cash Me If You Can. Yeah, same Yeah, I mean, well, he, yeah. he was the king of that shit. That yeah. Basically, the minute you yeah, accuse him of yeah. being too serious or too playful, on the one hand, he'd give you both of them. Jurassic mm-hmm. Park and Schindler's List, I think. Are Lost maybe, World and Amistad, too. Dras- so, yeah. Lost World and Amistad. I think yeah. there was another one. There was, um, uh, uh, oh, gosh. I want to say that it was, like, Always and Last Crusade were the same yes. year. Yes, right, right. Yeah. yeah. 88, I think. And, you know, those are both more playful films, but that's the 89. idea, that on the yeah. one hand, you've got the more adult movie, and on the other hand, you've got the film for teenagers. The blockbuster. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that was the, 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 the difference between those things. But the fact that he could work as fast as he could, despite the fact that he was marshalling hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of resources and actors and extras and camera techs and props and sets, and it was just, I mean, madness to think of the things that he does. And the fact that we all took it for granted for as yes. long as we did, because yes. at the same time, 
time that in the 80s he was doing all of his movies that introduced us to who he really was, made three Indiana Jones movies, he made Always, you know, and, and then at the same time he's producing the Twilight Zone movie and he's directing a sequence to that, which is probably his worst film. And then, you know, uh, young Sherlock Holmes and Joe Dante's movies and he... Back to the Future. Back to the Future and Poltergeist, you know. Shepherding in Zemeckis and Gale, yeah. He invented the American cinema that decade, both through his own movies and as a work as a producer and all that shit. He made that Goonies movie, which is unpalatable, completely disgusting. It should be wiped from all of our hard drives and burn the negatives, frankly. But that's, you know, that's exactly what he was up to. And not everybody gets to say that. Not only did I direct some of the most important and influential movies of all time, I basically invented the popular idiom in which all other popular movies exist now. You think about Stranger Things. No Stranger Things without Spielberg, right? Mm -hmm. Just... No, no J.J. Abrams, maybe. No J.J. Abrams. Certainly no J.J. Abrams. I mean, that is absolutely true, that the jokes and stuff that went into the the Spielberg sense of humor, that that wild oscillating between light and darkness, you know, like, the, the best one probably that I can think of is when the lightning starts striking in War of the Worlds and Dakota Fanning is terrified. He goes, no, no, it's fine. And then the lightning strikes right next to their kitchen. He goes, ah! <laughs> like, that is the Spielberg sense of humor. Yeah. And that has completely invaded the consciousness of every single director who gets to a certain budget level. Everybody has to deal with that, right? Yeah. Whether you're Tim Burton or Guillermo del Toro or whoever, you know, everybody deals with Steven Spielberg yes. in their own way. We here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, that government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from the earth. We can't tell our people they can vote yes on abolishing slavery unless at the same time we can tell them that you're seeking a negotiated peace. It's either the amendment or this Confederate peace. You cannot have both. How many hundreds of thousands have died during your administration? Congress must never declare equal those whom God created unequal. Read the Constitution alone. We're stepped out upon the world stage now with the fate of human dignity in our hands. Blood's been spilled to afford us this moment now, now, now. Abraham Lincoln has asked us to work with him to accomplish the death of slavery. No one's ever been loved so much by the people. Don't waste that power. This fight is for the United States of America. Think we choose to be born, or we fit it to the times we're born into? Well, I don't know about myself. You may be. settles the fate for all coming time. Not only of the millions now in bondage, but of unborn millions to come. Shall we stop this bleeding? Either the amendment or this Confederate peace, you cannot have both. How many hundreds of thousands have died during your administration? Congress must never declare equal those whom God created unequal. Leave the Constitution alone. Having said that, 
the fact that you and I, Tucker and I, have watched Lincoln probably 450 times since it came out between the two of us. At minimum. At a minimum. <laughs> you know, and it's not a movie that everybody shares our obsession with. You yeah. can find 12 people right now. If you went down the street to whatever bar is open right now, go to State Park, you'll find somebody who's seen Raiders of the Lost Ark and loves Raiders and of the Lost Ark. And we're going to pause this and take and a field trip. go down there and get even <laughs> drunker than we are now. Carry the microphone <laughs> with us. Yeah, hi, Spotlight. <laughs> Quick question. Quick question. Quick yeah, question. first time, long time. Hey, hi. Yeah, you see fucking Raiders? Tops on the shoulder. <laughs> yeah, you got the press book right there. Did you give that to me? No, I gave you the uh, Che one. The Che one. That's right. The signed Che one. Yeah. Yeah, hi. Spotlight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do both of them. That's right. Yeah, hi. Could you pick one of these gentlemen, please? Who do you, you like more? You like Che Guevara or you like uh, Abraham Lincoln? You gotta pick one. Which one are you? Yeah, which one are you? <laughs> you like more? No, in between. Hey, we're here at State Park. We're going out live. This next song is by Bob Seger. <laughs> the next midterm, those are the two options. <laughs> That's right. You have to choose between Lincoln and Shea, and they get to decide what that means when you vote with them. <laughs> Lincoln and Shea is also my failed body comedy. What's the, what's the joke from uh, the, the big picture? Abe and the babe. Abe, <laughs> Lincoln, and babe, Ruth. That was one of my mom's favorite jokes growing up. <laughs> uh... Bless you, Jill, St- Jill Steelman, wherever you are. We love you. We send this one out to you. Oh. This next song is for uh, <laughs> a young woman in Baltimore. It's also by Bob Seger. This next song is called Catman Zoo. It goes out to Stevie Spielberg. Little Stevie. Stevie little Stevie Spielberg from Phoenix, Arizona. And Dan Lewis. And ladies and gentlemen, somewhere it's Dan Lewis. <laughs> Dan Lewis. Somewhere in Ireland. Dan fucking Lewis. That's the name Dan of a contractor Lewis. or a film crew. That's not, yeah. Dan Lewis is out here. Dan, what what? What do you think's wrong with Pearl? You didn't like Pearl so much, did you? Um, anyway, so we saw Lincoln when it was new. The two of us put it on our best of the year list at that time, um, and oh, yeah. we, of course, stand by it. But it's one of those movies that the more that you watch it, the more you get over the fact that, for instance, in, it is... In theaters, you guys well, of course, were, yeah, we saw it in yeah, theaters. Yeah, yeah. We were there opening day. Yeah. I, I mean, I certainly was. This was Christmas. It was Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was yeah. right Christmas. Yeah, I dragged my girlfriend to go see it at the time, um, and she did not understand it, and she certainly didn't understand when I bought it on Blu-ray and kept watching it. Um, <laughs> Over and fucking over again. Um, quick Lincoln. Yeah, quick Lincoln. That's your thing. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what you do with your wife every yeah, night. We, we could leave, but uh, can we just fit in a quick link? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's quite literally yeah. what he a does. thing uttered in both of our <laughs> houses. houses at this point. You want to do a quick Lincoln? You want to do a quick Lincoln? Yeah, it's because it's the only movie that we're always in the mood to watch. My wife says it to me sometimes. <laughs> if, if, we're like, if we're like trying to figure out like a thing to watch one night, she'll be like, I don't know, you want to do a quick Lincoln? Lincoln? And I'll be like, do not tangle that in front of me. Don't threaten me with a good time. Unless you're serious. Right. Don't threaten me with a good time. Because I will watch later right now. Yeah, it's two and a half hours long. It's two of the easiest half hours that I've ever Don't, heard. don't think about the runtime. Don't think about it. No, 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 Runtimes don't, don't exist do with Lincoln. Don't go get the love. Listen, I will go to the basement. I'll bring out the VHS. We'll watch Lincoln. Lincoln on VHS. VHS. <laughs> it doesn't quite work. You need to hit it on the side. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you know, Bridge on the River Kwai starts because that was on TV next. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's taped on AMC in 2014. Bridge, Bridge on the River Kwai. He was Lincoln. still recording things on the VHS, the VCR. <laughs> Lincoln and Bridge on the River Kwai are on top of each other. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you just you gotta oscillate. It's like the ring. You gotta move between the one image and the other. We saw Lincoln 
and we Ooh. liked it, but oh, our appreciation God. has grown because it is one of those movies that the more that you look in every corner of the frame, you find something else to admire, and furthermore, you come to appreciate and love the camera choreography and the blocking of actors in every scene, and the fact that, and this is the one thing that bothers me about Spielberg, he comes up with the perfect compositional ideas, and then he cuts too fast, so that I can't even, like, screen grab them. <laughs> yeah. The scene where... Uh, Seward is leaving his office, right, where the, the Progressive Caucus is, is meeting to talk about the Lincoln's proposal to bring up the 13th Amendment for a vote for ratification. He says, you know, it's late, I'm old, Lincoln the dawdler, Lincoln the, what is it, the, the inveterate, <laughs> I don't even remember, time waster, the godforsaken leader. Steve, Stevenson. Stevenson. Allie Stevenson, I'm sorry. Not, Stevenson. No, 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 what, what did we say? Thaddeus Stevenson. You, you you said Seward. Seward, I'm, I'm sorry. Sure you know, yes, Jesus Christ, a lot of politicians in this movie. <laughs> yes. Thaddeus Stevens, Tommy Lee Jones, he said, you know, our party, the godforsaken Republican Party, Abraham Lincoln has asked us to work with him to accomplish the death of slavery in America. Retain, even in opposition, your capacity for astonishment. And then he turns and he leaves, and the door slowly closes, but not slowly enough for my liking. It closes, and all four delegates in his caucus are standing there, and the camera slowly moves, and it's just like... It's such a perfect composition, and Spielberg, if he were this much more of a fucking, at this point, egotist, he would have held and lingered on that composition even more than he does. Which is hysterical, because when it's time for uh, Stevenson on the floor of the house to say, I believe only in equality before the law, nothing more. That moment lasts an eternity! <laughs> he looks up, he sees, and he's talking, and he's seeing eye contact. That scene, is in my head, it's two minutes long, even though it's probably only 20 seconds. It's still too long. Like, he can't help himself in some yeah, instances, yeah. but he's so good in others, where it's like, you think about in West Side Story, when they're fighting, and Riff throws his hands up. Thank no, God, Bernardo. <laughs> Bernardo throws his hands up to stop the sharks from helping him in the fight. That composition of the hand and the thing with all the guys looking at the... And the like light on the it. Fucking, and, yeah. God, it's so good. Which, I mean, it's fascinating to hear the staying power of these compositions and you get Janusz, right? Because yeah. Janusz is it, it, brilliant. I think they've been together since St. Private Ryan. Uh, no, and before that. Their before first movie was Schindler. Schindler, yes. And, um, and it was one of the Oscar wins. And I think sure. it was that... Uh, the movie is, is on. It's in these muted blacks and browns, and and there's and it's like you know the lighting at well, the time. Well, we talked about is, this too. It's that it's it's there is there is color, but it is muted. Yes, I mean, it's this, yes. It's this, it's this bleach bypass look, a la Terrence Davies or something. Yes, yeah. Where you know you've got the colors of the of the the red coats that soldiers are wearing and all this stuff, and the and the and the various suits that all the representatives are wearing. But you need it all to blend into the background because ultimately it's a movie about binaries. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think for for me it makes it all the more of a soothing watch. Mm. That I tend to to think about those parts more than um, the staying power because of of also it goes to um, Mary Kushner's sound of of his of his words that you have these actors living delivering this at such a pitch, and yet all everything looks as though you only had like one light source in every exactly, room. Exactly, exactly, and and it's like it creates this kind of monotone thing where it really works for how much power are is in the are in these arguments and yet everyone is speaking as though they're discussing just ordinary plans for an extraordinary time uh for exactly. me real fast uh my dad took me to this when i was 13 and i remember being very bored but that was before I knew who <laughs> Steven Spielberg. I did not who know who, Sp yeah. who Steven Spielberg was. For a thirteen-year-old, this is not a movie you should take. Now, Jack, I to have to say, don't take and this the wrong way. I need you to get the fuck out of my house <laughs> because you're clearly younger than anyone I know. 
and I feel ancient. You and several others have said this on this very show, but um, I I think that it's almost better than taking young boys to see Blunt. <laughs> There's that. Almost. Almost. almost We're nearly that. there. <laughs> and um, I had always thought of this one sort of as stagey and muted and a bit of just a ground ball and nothing really more. But I think the more and more I considered Spielberg and, and I'd like accumulated my favorites, um, like the two thousands period really like right now is, is like my, it, like, I, I think that is some of the best works ever. Well, I mean, I feel but like in this one, I hold, I hear dearly more with what she rewatch, but you know, no, of course. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's the thing is that, that the, the beauty of Spielberg, I mean, much like John Ford, who's about to show up as a character in The Fablemans, mm. there is something to the idea of you being allowed to grow with the director and the art and the statements and all that, that at one moment, something like The Searchers, to take the most obvious example, can be this thrilling, exciting adventure story. And then you get a little older, and you're like, oh, this is terrible, rancorous, racist, disgusting, I hate this film. And then you get past it, and you're like, okay, this is somebody fighting with all of the impulses alive inside of the... You know, the sort of platonic ideal of an American, right? They're always at all times dealing with their inherent racism and their violence and the fact that they can't actually sit still and be there. And you think of every dad ever who's hit their kid and you're like, oh yeah, that's Ethan Edwards. That's America. So it's like, yeah, it's a, it's an ugly film, but it's an honest film about the ugliness that is in all of Americans. And I think Spielberg is much the same way. That yes. You come and go with these things, and you're allowed to grow with Spielberg them. saw that in John Ford. He didn't see the other parts that people usually take. Exactly. Yeah. He saw, I mean, certainly even as early as Jaws, right? Jaws has three prototypes of the American male. You've got the rich nerd, who's probably fucking all the time. You've got the married terrified, slightly castrated sheriff. Also, I think you should note the dad. Right? The dad, that, of course. Of course that cycles through who's a dad, film. you're yeah. absolutely right. And then you've got Quint, who is a bachelor, who is also castrated, but from a different perspective, and so puts up this facade of huge masculinity to cover the fact that he himself is terrified of the one thing that he is supposed to be known for. Mm-hmm. He's a fisherman, and he can't swim, and he won't put on a life jacket, and all this. And like that is exactly the thing that you're meant to do, is that you are given three archetypes on a boat. You have your whole life to figure out what they mean to you and what they mean to the movie and what the movie means to America and what America means to the movie. That is, I think, the gift of an artist like that who is not just thinking about the thing in front of them. He's thinking about the context of all of American cinema, way the hell back to Griffith and Eric von Stroheim and everything else you know with people like Spielberg and Scorsese and Coppola and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so from the commentaries they do and the bonus features they commit to and the talks they give that they have seen everything that's important to see. Even, what is it, three days ago, Scorsese gave a quote about seeing Pearl and loving Pearl mm. and it's just yeah. like, Yes, because you want to know what's next. You want to know, A, what you've done, right? What you've helped pave the way for. But also you want to know what other people are doing in the same way that you yourself were one of these people not that long ago. In living memory, you were a young filmmaker making Boxcar Bertha and John Cassavetes has put you in a fucking, you know, chokehold and given you a noogie and been like, well, you fucked up, but next time you'll be better. Yeah. Like Ed Wood, you know? Yeah. Worst picture you've ever seen, eh? Well, the next one will be better. (laughs) And that's... The beauty of Spielberg is that no matter when you discover him or why you discover him or what you think of him when you did discover him, there's always going to be something to talk about. Jonathan Rosenbaum, I think, has probably remained the most steadfast of the anti-Spielberg critics, and he's well within his rights to do it, because you don't have to love him. You certainly don't have to love him. I mean, like, I do, and I always have. (laughs) That's my baggage. But 
I also think it is a defensible position when you're Jonathan Rosenbaum to say that Jaws 2 is better than Jaws. I get why he said that. I also really like Jaws 2. I know that movie gets a terrible fucking rap, but I think there's a lot to love about it. I think that as a pot boiler, as made by a TV movie director, something that Jaws was kind of sort of supposed to be, it's a really good piece of work. I think it's very, very strong, but that's exactly it. And then so with something like Lincoln, you see it, you don't understand it. It looks for all the world like probably the things that you would have been seeing in history class at that point, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Certainly it did for me. Now, we get to talk about the camera movements. We get to see the lights in everything. You get to see where the windows are and the motivated lighting and that there's light streaming in from this particular thing. And you don't know where it's coming from, but it also doesn't really matter because at this point, it's lighting up the composition. It's giving you this and it's giving you the, 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 the eye light on, on, on Tommy Lee Jones in his office and everything. Like, it's just, it's a movie that when you start to look at it, you realize that every single thing in it was perfectly considered. And that is the exciting part. Spielberg knows that there is something going on outside of the movie. Exactly. That he's making a story, but the story can have ripple effects and is thinking about those as well as the movie itself. Because I think going back to um, the two movies in one year, I think of Spielberg as this classically, this, this, this professional that's looking at the classical influences and yet not necessarily having like the Soderbergh, uh, type of efficiency that we come to expect with someone of that generation but yet making a whole production mm-hmm. out of the movies like having always in last crusade in the same in year, year you wouldn't expect something like this to have like okay guys let's wrap it up and go to the next one right. because everything is so meticulous but not to the point of it being a thing uh, yeah and, i mean it's um, ridley scott ridley yeah, scott yeah, is yeah, ridley's our, another is, yeah, is, yeah. Is our example of that yeah. is that if you think about the steven soderbergh production speed I think Ridley Scott keeps to it, but I do think yeah. that he does have a more Spielbergian attention to detail. Not to say that Soderbergh doesn't. I love Soderbergh. Soderbergh's one of my favorite fucking filmmakers. I mean, I think you and I both agree that the guy is unstoppable. Um, I say you and I, listener, not talking to my, my dear friend Tucker. <laughs> but <laughs> but also the listener. But also the listener. Yeah, of um, but that's the thing, is that like the, the, the beauty of it is now we don't have to choose, right? You know, we've got a new Spielberg movie a year, we got a new Spielberg movie every couple of years, mm-hmm. but they're working fast. And Ridley Scott and Steven Spielberg, I think that they're realizing they're getting to a point where there isn't necessarily a guarantee that they get to make the next movie. Mm-hmm. And so they both want to choose carefully, but also they want to keep making work. I mean, Clint Eastwood's a great example. Another guy who makes movies with a color palette not dissimilar to the one in Lincoln, you know, it's... It gets the job done. They, they know where to place the camera. They know where to stage the exactly. actors. Yeah. And yet, I think you go back to that idea that you brought up briefly, that this is a movie that you show in classrooms. It's a dad movie. It's 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 a puff piece. It's, it's awards bait, obviously. Yeah. I think all these things you could see as true. Uh, in 2022, 10 years later, I think that this one holds... It, it's sort of like you can whittle it down to its, its most basic parts as like politics are a pain you know because it's like i think i think that's kind of the magic of spielberg that because it's it's sort of like him going at howard hawks frank capra mode yeah and yet like a lot of capra in this yeah a lot of yes and still being attached to his trademark sensibilities i think that's why this isn't still um a a bore to me that this isn't eating your broccoli if i if i you know it Not has to, that magic stuff. Exactly, yeah, it yes. does. Well, that's the thing is that if you, you, didn't if lose you that. combine the, the Capra-esque, hard on your sleeve, you know, Jimmy Stewart in the last scene of Mr. Smith goes to Washington, right? That's the, yeah. the let's call that the prototypical Capra thing. Capra, I think, is a more nuanced director than he frequently gets credit for. I'm not even the world's biggest Capra fan, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but 
I find him kind of interesting because at, at, at the same time as he's making these movies that were sort of pleading for the soul of America, he was also like fucking his own dick off mm-hmm. because he had terrible syphilis and never got it cured. Um, <laughs> but if you take the sort of the heart on the sleeve capper thing and you attach it here, that doesn't account for everything that you're seeing in this movie because this is a very bleak movie. And arguably so is something like Meet John yes. Doe. Yeah. But then you've got, I mean, because again, you can't, Steven Spielberg is never just one impulse, right? It's Capra, sure, but it's Ford and it's Hawks. Yeah. And between the three, and Wellman to a certain mm-hmm. degree, between all four of these yeah. poles yeah. and pillars that he's pulling from, you'll find some version of the truth here, which is what's so awesome. But the thing is, cinematic truth and truth and reality are two different things. They have nothing to do with each other, frankly, at their best. And so a movie like this can have these exploded moments where you're like getting into the thing and you're like hearing these discussions and you get to like actually enjoy these moments of political, you know, but if you were there in the room watching these things happen, you'd have been bored out of your fucking mind or you would have been pulling your hair out because it's a disgusting compromise, right? You know? That is crucial that, that yes, you can take the Frank Capra thing of the man versus the in- institution. Man versus the system, but exactly. with that moral gray area that he started to develop into with Minority Report, with AI, with... Munich, um, and then and then yeah, we'll apply it that to stories like this. Bridges buys the post later on in the twenty tens. It's yeah, it's very funny to think of Lincoln post Munich. Yes, that that is one of the that is one of the most accurate. Seeing how him and Kushner evolve exactly. Oh God, well I mean we talked about you know Kushner's screenplay for this is probably what the best screenplay ever written. It's Mm. in the running, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. well I I think I I mean the the first draft is something like six hundred, five hundred pages. Like it's good enough. I just I think that you catch Lincoln at a time where Spielberg is at war with his own impulses because he's also a man that's unfortunately aging. Mm -hmm. So you've got a movie like. Munich, which is to that point probably the most mature work that Spielberg ever produced, and and made better by the fact that there was no prep time, mm-hmm. that the no. writer strike was happening yeah. and all that shit. They just had to get, exactly, yeah, they just yeah. had to get in it. And he talks about the the zoom, the great yeah, clip. Oh my god, the yeah, the camera, but yeah, what a beautiful but, but movie. But then and then you go to um, you go to was twenty eleven War Horse and War Horse yeah. and Tim was twenty eleven for film. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you honestly, that. yeah, you know what? <laughs> yeah, no, that's 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 our thesis. Right I like there. that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so well, not disagree. And Warhorse and Tintin in the same year is kind of perfect because it's it's like tug of war, Spielberg impulses. It's like on the one hand you've got the lost Indiana Jones sequel, yeah, and on the other hand you've got this very like heartfelt. Um, you know, very, very Fordian, very Lewis Milestone, this thing that is all history, both real and cinematic, you know. And and, and then to come back to everything with Lincoln, where it's like, okay, yeah, but I am a guy that's getting older. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have to make a movie with big guns and explosions and, and, and war torn Europe. I mean, Mm. I mean, not to say that we don't have a few moments of well, he, America. he does it. He does it in he does it in the post too, where he yeah, has to do it because true. he had never made a Vietnam movie. Right, so, so you get that opening in the jungle with a stupid right. fucking Creedence Clearwater right. needle drop. Right, but to me, that's what a lot of Lincoln is. Is like it's Spielberg by way of him wanting to make a, a prestige. Like, hey, no, I want, I want to, I want to hit Oscar season hard, but also like. Yeah, but I want to pay homage to like all these filmmakers that came before that I love and exactly. raised me and and well, so, I mean, you know, so yeah. as we did last time we were on your show, we're we're playing the movie in the background on silent as we're doing this. This sequence right here, where Asa, uh, uh, whatever his name is, comes to uh, uh, Thaddeus Stevens and says, 
I was disgusted when I saw it here. Clearly, there's nothing that you wouldn't do. And he says, no, you're right. There's nothing I wouldn't do. And that is the Spielberg thing because he is, at heart, that guy. He is somebody who compromises for the demands of the audience, right? He'll try anything to get the audience in the theater to appreciate movies. Not his movies, but movies. Mm -hmm. To get you in the theater to see that. You can promise people this Oscar bait biopic and then they get in there and they're watching this Howard Hawksian film about trying to convince a hundred people in the fucking Senate to, you know, do, like, it's... They're bored and they have to, they can't deal with the screenplay. Exactly, exactly. After all this, I think Spielberg is incredibly still, at late 70s, I think, like, incredibly enthusiastic filmmaker. Sure. Like, he, uh, well, he directs uh, like a man of, who's 12 years old. Yeah, yeah yes, yes. <laughs> he directs and, like a 12-year-old boy. Um, Kushner was talking about how excited he was every day to set. They thought they were going to have five months till shooting, and then they ended up having a year because of Dan Lewis's uh, process. Damn, and I think it goes to show that he's not only enthusiastic, but, but to me, and, and you know, not just to me, but to everybody, he's an incredibly self selfless filmmaker. Certainly. That he doesn't want people to just see his story, but or not just the way he wants to tell his story, but just the story. I think and, I think I think the key to the success of a movie like Lincoln is the whole of the nineties output. Because that to me is the most at war with himself he's ever been. Mm. because he's making Schindler's List and it's so dark that he's calling Robin Williams to ask him to make him laugh every night while he's filming it. true. And as a response to that, at the same time as that, he's making Jurassic Park where he's supposed to make this ultimate thrill ride theme park thing, which is supposed to codify... There's there's another same year, Schindler's List. Yeah, exactly. Schindler's List, Jurassic Park. (laughs) The most incredible, perhaps, split between the two impulses ever, ever. Yeah, yeah that's the Truly. One. That's the one. That's the in amber. Exactly. That's the mosquito in amber, amber of Spielberg. Spielberg. But then, afterwards, he's done both things, right? He's made the Oscar-winning, Best Picture-winning, Best Director-winning mm-hmm. Schindler's List, and he's made the $100 million runaway roller coaster best, of Jurassic yeah, Park. Yeah, highest grossing. And he has no fucking clue how to follow them up, yeah. right? Because he makes Lost World a deeply conflicted movie that he has no idea what to do with. He doesn't know whether to make it an adventure film and, yeah. or a really cynical horror. And which, movie. by the way, is great. Yeah, Lost yeah, World. I like Lost World. I like. I can't watch it all the time. It's very dark. That yeah. shit where they kill Richard Schiff is unfucking watchable. You can't do a quick Jurassic you World. Do you oh no, World. you cannot do a quick Lost World. <laughs> but then at the same time, you've got Amistad. Amistad wants to do right by the idea of political process in the same way that Lincoln does, but it forgets to make it entertaining. Yeah, Am- Amistad is the, the the dress rehearsal for. I think that Amistad. This fucking shot. Good God. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. Um, Janusz- Amistad. Amistad is a movie where you. We're trying to get a sense of the enormity and the horrificness of slavery, but it puts slavery in the background for about 75% of the runtime and occasionally checks in on Jaiman Hansu, who has no say over his own fate. To me, the best part of that movie is when he's furious in his jail cell. He's like, what do I have to do? Why am I in no position or control? Why can I not do any of this shit? What are you people doing for me? You know? And so, like, that is, like, almost like the movie itself telling you this sucks. <laughs> this is not good enough. We, we need more. And so... It doesn't have its finger on the pulse like it does with the Stephen Well, McKinley I mean, Lincoln Harris ultimately is the perfect character. Obama movie, right? Because it's all about compromise. Right. It's the whole th- fucking thing is that if you want... You know, six feet, you got to settle for three feet. And yes. then eventually you get the other three. And that's exactly the fucking point. I was going to bring that up. There you go. <laughs> and it's so, like, yeah, like, on its face, as a piece of text in the Obama era, it's, you know, a little despicable. But as a piece of fucking filmmaking, it is unimpeachable and perfect and wonderful. It's just, it's exactly what you want these things to be. That if you're going to try to, like, saw through so many layers of this shit, you have to make it work scene to scene. And no movie is so 
I mean, not just entertaining, but like weirdly cozy. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it, this. Yeah. It, yeah. Like, it's a movie set in the White House, which is under repairs in the death of winter. And so all these people are like wearing blankets and they're by the fire. So like, you want to be there. You want to be there in the same rooms with them. Like, oh, that looks cozy, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I think, I think to a lot of Spielberg's sensibilities, it's, it's the fact that he's a Jew. Mm-hmm. It's, I think that a lot of, a lot like Amistad, this, Color Purple, oh. it's all kind of like, I think that he has a whether it's misguided or not, he has a connection to black people in America. Yeah, it's true. Because he kind of sees himself in the same idea of, like, being a race that's been historically mistreated, hated, whatever. Yeah. So I think he's drawn to these stories of, like, you know... Which is, I mean, it's... It, he's it, drawn to perseverance. Yeah. Yes, yeah. he is. Yeah. And he's drawn to, again, I like, to speak specifically to the idea that America, it's... The things that you know you can do versus the things that you cannot ask for and cannot hope to be taken seriously when you do, you know, it's, it's, you know, what can, what can we, you know, like, I mean, this is an ugly word, but what do we settle for? You know, like what, what is possible? What, you know, can, is this much okay? And if not, then how much more? You know, that's kind of the text of so much of his movies. And it's very funny that you bring that up, that he's, as a Jewish man in America, talking about, I mean, the plight of of black people in America much more than he talks about Jews. There's a lot of Jewishness in his films. Certainly Bridge of Spies weirdly strikes me as a very Jewish movie, despite the fact that it's not really about Jewishness. No. But between being written yeah. by the Coens and directed by Spielberg, it comes across as a very Jewish movie indeed. Yeah. Um, that sensibility, I think, is very easily detected. And maybe we'll see some of that in Fablements. Well, yeah. I mean, somebody's, somebody's already said that it's not Jewish enough, which I'm willing to believe, because I do think that there is a certain, I mean, you know, much like you're talking about, it's, you're, you're deflecting, you're, you're, you're sort of, you know, here's the laser beam of your identity, you hold up a mirror and it goes over there, and it's going to hit it with less impact. Well, he, he's, I, I don't know if it was the HBO doc or whatever, but Spielberg's kind of gone on record as saying, like, I, I didn't do a good enough job being Jewish. Well, I mean... Until, like... The thing, the thing that's kind Schindler. of fascinating yeah, right. is that after Schindler and during that whole period, and Schindler had, was like twenty something years in his career, right, like right. around yeah, 20, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he talks about that, like he talks about like falling in with other Jewish billionaires and all this, and sort of being, you know, corrupted, but also trying to be open to the idea of the plight of the Jew in the modern world. And you know, Molly Haskell's incredible biography on him, which is, I mean, a brisk hundred pages. Um, really kind of dives into that. There's so much of this is this bizarre, deflecting, almost guilty, finally understanding of themselves, but also realizing that in order to take part in the Hollywood version of the identification of so many young Jewish people, or older Jewish people, you it's not really about yourself. It's not about the self. It's about where the money goes. And it's about... You know how you present yourself and the things that you do. I mean, the 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 the, the rehearsal, right? He brings the Jewish scholar to his house, and she says, "You should be donating to uh, Israel. You should be donating to the nation of Israel." Uh, and he's yeah, exactly. He does that because that, and ultimately, I feel like that is the Spielberg conundrum. He never made it public, of course, because he was very savvy about that. He was right. wise to do it because now we can separate him. From the things that he ostensibly believes and the causes to which he donates and all that stuff. I mean, think about James Cameron. James Cameron donated to dozens of Democratic Party campaigns, but he never made that public because he didn't want to lose the audience who he thought would be he would be alienating by saying that. Right. I mean, look what happened to Clint. For, yeah. yeah, bring him back to your... Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. When he right. showed up at the RNC to do that thing, which, I mean, God knows if he knew what he was doing. And frankly, who fucking cares? Because he still made Richard Jewell afterwards, yeah. so he was still a good artist. 
So you know, fucking sue me, but it's true. <laughs> like it's it, that's exactly the thing is that the more that you try to make yourself publicly available, which I have to assume is why he's never done any director or commentaries. Yeah, we uh, were talking about that. Wow. We, there's there are no... fascinating, really. Jeez. I don't think well, so. We don't, we don't have that as a hard fact, but we, we were thinking about it, and I don't. I've never heard. Are. I've never heard of that. Yeah. I've never heard of them. Perhaps there are, but I would have to feel in the same way that John Frankensteiner from Twitter always posts clips from things. That's how we got the Kurt Russell and John Carpenter laughing on the thing commentary. Right. That if those things were out there, somebody would have brought them to our attention. Yeah, we would. We would know they existed. Yeah, ex- I, I had the same thinking that if. We would be aware of them because exactly. because of not only is it Spielberg, but the movies themselves would are warrant. so fucking yeah, big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, they're, they're so big that they would warrant the yeah. commentary. I think also you bring up the idea of Spielberg aging, and I think that goes to a career without regrets. And yet you get AI without regrets. You get I think Munich without regrets. Certainly, and this because it's been in development for so long since I think like ninety nine famous well, since nineteen ninety nine. Most of his movies most of his took movies. forever to actually get going. And Liam Neeson famously was going to play Abraham Lincoln in Thank this. God, that didn't happen. <laughs> Not that I love Liam Neeson, um, but that's that. Oh, no, he kind of looked like him. I get it. But yeah. This is. I mean, we, we already got the Liam performance for Spielberg. We sure yeah, did. Right. Right. We <laughs> don't need a follow up. Well, that was the beautiful moment in the documentary. Where he talks yeah. about how Steven Spielberg is so so high strung about uh, Schindler's List that he's criticizing the way he's smoking a cigarette. It's just like God. I was like, I don't really fucking like this every day. And Ben Kingsley like talking down. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But, I just think the development of this one so interesting to yeah. to go from the text novel. Who wrote the novel again? Doris um, Kearns. Doris Kearns. Yes, yes, and yeah, and she uh, told Spielberg that she's writing the book, and then Spielberg was then interested in Abe Lincoln because he's always had a curious fascination with him since uh, since schooling about Lincoln, and then brings on Kushner after working on Munich together. Um, I mean, I, that's just a really cool story. It is. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, we, 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 we talk all the time, and Lord knows I'm not quiet about my Tony Kushner fandom. I feel like as good as Tony Kushner's work is for the stage and in every other medium, I kind of feel like he really found the thing that he's is better than anybody else when coming to screenwriting. And he was, I mean, he was aided certainly by a moment of some of our very worst movies, that he, I mean, even if he wasn't a genius, he would look like a genius, you know, like compared to everything else that was winning awards. You know, imagine you you make Lincoln and like the year before the artist won Best Picture or yeah, whatever, sure. you got to be feeling pretty fucking good about yourself. <laughs> God, that fucking movie. But the stuff that he writes, we talk about this all the time. The the, the every other line in this movie is memorable for yes. this reason or that, yeah. even if it's a throwaway thing. Oh my God, it's so this scene. good. Oh yeah, this scene. I know you, as I do all people. My son, my son, my son died for the union. That was imagine enough. I'll get used to you. I'll get. I'll get used to you. <laughs> I was born a free man. I never beat anybody. Said I beat them right back. But well, I mean, and that's like, I mean, I, I we're I, whalers, Mister <laughs> Ashley. I, I think that you know, other than like movie unmute this. people, right? <laughs> unmute play, this. Play, play. That's right. I, I think that other we than don't speak very movie people. You don't get a lot of appreciation for writing. No, and if you do, it's always terrible. Usually, and I, and I think that that's why Lincoln to me is is such a force to be reckoned with because it's like I was saying it before you came over. It, it's Kushner 
manages to create a world of you know 1864 or whatever year it was and but it feels so lived in mm-hmm. it, it doesn't yeah. feel because even something like shakespeare is antiquity it's it's it, yes it, it just feels so old and yes. furthermore yes. it doesn't come with the idea of and certainly the you know modernized shakespeare adaptation which is such a thing in culture a meme almost that when you're doing Romeo and Juliet, it could come out looking like Boz Lerman, where every surface is clean and everybody's got a gun. You know, it doesn't have to look like anything. Named after a longsword. Named after a longsword. Fucking hate that shit so much. Boz Lerman, please stop. Please retire. Boz Lerman, retire, bitch. Um, but that's the whole point, right? Is this dialogue calls for a milieu in which it makes sense. I mean, you look yes. at any given composition of this, you've got guys wearing, you know, they're layering because it's cold. You can see their breath. They're smoking cigars. They got cigar stuff in the thing. You got like fucking. We were talking peanut dust on the fucking yeah, papers that he's doing that. Oh yeah, the, the squirrel infested <laughs> attic, as James uh, Spader calls it. All it's it's a movie that demands to be seen through the inch of dust on everything, and or the dust that keeps being thrown in the air when you reach for a paper and you grab another one. It's a government or it's a society or a country, however you want to think of it inventing itself in front of you but in order to do that it has to throw off the dust of the last guy who came through there's that great monologue sally field in the thing greeting guests saying well when we got here was that a bug i'm sorry i'm killing me uh, when we got here it was you know there were mushrooms growing from all this and it's like that's exactly it is like the the, the 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 whatever the version of america was before lincoln is now something else because lincoln changed america so that's the idea you come to a white house that's disgusting there are mushrooms growing out of every surface you, you thought my husband and i were prairie primitives living in squalor and that's exactly it and so in order for you to understand what has to change you have to see what is and you have to be able to you know like sit there the picture yourself in these cabinet rooms in the radio rooms you have to be able to understand them and i don't think spielberg has ever done a better job of dressing a room than he did yeah. here honestly other than maybe last crusade yeah yeah and i think that i think lincoln's another great example of i think spielberg sorry i'm coming so close to trying to quote the simpsons right now the moon belongs to, <laughs> to america, america. <laughs> I, I think that i think that spielberg <laughs> Steven Spielberg believes in America. He does, in which the, is in the, shocking. In the, but in the most, in the best way. Yeah. Where so many of his films, Amistad, Lincoln, The Post, Bridge of Spies. Well, The Post is, is like a very funny example because that's a movie about how you have to question America's institutions. Right. Yeah. But I think that ultimately his attraction to all of these kind of like events in time. Mm-hmm. Are the idea of like, yeah, whatever contemporary circumstances were happening, something changed because of a group of people, right. or one person, or whatever. Yeah, and I think that that's like that's the thing to him is like that like. Well, I mean, even he's if, like keeping the American dream alive by trying to be like, no, 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 but like if we, like if we keep like the better be... things, exactly, yes. Which, which I think is a vicarious combo because of the moral gray area that he then begins to explore. I think in the two, in the twenty first century, but yet still well, even wanting Ready Player to, One, like you're saying, even, that's a movie about a guy changing America for the better, right? <laughs> yeah, Where he yeah. basically says you can't go online. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you got to be less online to exactly, survive in America. Exactly, and it's like you know, I hate that movie, but that's not a bad point. 
You know, <laughs> he's not wrong. Yeah. Um, oh dear, who will choose that one? Yeah, but I think it goes to this. It goes to this idea that he's trying to believe in the American dream with the moral gray area in the 21st century. And yet, I think I did recognize that idea that Scout pointed out. These people do feel three-dimensional, and they can't feel as though they are American icons anymore to feel as though change is being enacted. I think even at 13, it recognizes that, but yet I still was bored. Um, I think that, yeah, like this movie feels like it's the complete um, encapsulation of everything Abraham Lincoln, like Tony Kushner, joked during the production of the movie. He was on the 900,000th Lincoln biography. But also I think in Spielberg's career, this is the culmination of everything, but yet he keeps going. Well, I mean, yes, and because you can't stop. I mean, ultimately, even though you've come to something like, to us, a perfect examination of American Icon, where you take Lincoln off the penny and you make him a human being, even right, though you right. then, of course, kill him and, you know, you have Seward, because, again, Spielberg can't fucking help himself. Yes, Seward say, well, now he belongs to the ages. Right. Right. You couldn't just stop the movie with him walking down the hallway, the perfect ending where for that it should have Where it should have Where it should have And we're gonna pause the movie and, oh, and believe. Dude, you, you act like I don't do that to a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah. I know we're they said that about Blonde today. Yes! Oh, There's a yeah. perfect shot. Yeah, there's a there's, perfect yeah. shot at the we end of Blonde. We have a perfect ending and the movie goes a few minutes. Yeah, yeah. not even a few minutes, honestly. Like a, like one minute, you know, 45 seconds or something. That That's a piece waiting to be written. I mean, that may be the only <laughs> thing I ever write about Blonde because I don't want to vouchsafe yeah. any more than that because yeah. it's already pissing so many people off. <laughs> Which, understandably, by the way, we don't mean to seem like everybody's mad about it is wrong. They're right. Five scenes where Blonde should have ended. But it's, yeah, I think that that's ultimately, maybe, maybe yeah, I think you're onto something with the idea of, of Lincoln being the perfect encapsulation of the idea of the Spielberg political experiment, which is we know that these things led to good stuff for the country eventually, right? And so it's a matter of is this enough and should we be doing more and all that? It's There's radicalism in Spielberg's movies. It's just you have to look for it. It's between the lines because like his Judaism, it's not something he yeah, feels comfortable laying on the line. Exactly. And that's, you know, it's you think about like like close encounters, right? It's like a, it's, that's a that's a weird one because one like, of my favorites. No, I mean yeah, a good movie, a good movie, but it's like it's a it's a weird movie. Called it's a weird, it's, no, honestly, it's a weird, it's movie. an experimental kind of populist. Well, it's and where it's, he's. Yeah. I mean, it's the movie where he invents his grammar, but yeah. he doesn't know what for. That's right? true. That's you know? true. Like yeah. he's got all the you know the people looking up at stuff and the aliens and all, but he doesn't know what any of it means because yeah. he's too young. And then he figures out later what it means, and that's yes. why he makes the movies yes. that he makes. Right? Yeah. Where he finally start. I feel like I sound like Tarantino right now. This is so embarrassing. You know what I mean, man. So like, no, it's like the kid's okay, man. But like, you're, you sound like Norm Macdonald. <laughs> Norm Macdonald's Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, exactly. Or uh, itchy and scratchy. Hey, man, violence is everywhere, man. It's like even in our breakfast cereals, man. Phew. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. Well, another thing that I was just kind of thinking about in the last scene, since it's screaming behind us, is like, I think that part of. We're still in the theater. You guys saw Blonde. Maybe we should also <laughs> watch that. Just watching Blonde. Yeah. No, I think that a lot of I think a lot of what makes Lincoln work, maybe subtextually, is that everyone in Lincoln is somebody. Yes. Like every role is which cast is with an actor you that have is seen before. That is very much a thing that he got from. I mean, yeah, Hal Holbrook here. I mean, this is a great scene here. where He's got the radical and the yeah. and the more steadfast people in the. But yes, you're right. I mean, that's a John Ford thing. It's John. It's it's Cheyenne Cheyenne Autumn, right? Every time you look at an American, it's Jimmy Stewart. It's Richard Woodmark. It's Vincent Price, or not Vincent Price, John Carradine. It's somebody. John Wayne. Blah blah blah. And, but I think that the the whole 
kind of purpose, whether he meant to do it or not, is the idea of um, taking these people that, I mean, you can watch Lincoln and whatever your level of understanding of American history is, you might know some of the names, you might not. Right, not everybody knows Speed or Ashley or Seward or whatever. Right, but, but the idea that you can watch the movie and kind of like... Uh, in the back of your mind be like, all right, well, I know who this person is, so they must be important. Exactly, right. And I think that, I don't think that that's a mistake. I think no, no, that, you're no, you're absolutely right about that. I think that a lot yeah. of what I happened, mean, Walton Goggins, who is our Richard Widmark, you know, show, like that's, you know that that guy's going to waffle for that reason because he is a, a morally gray actor. Right. And I, I think that Spielberg, one of, the, one of the biggest successes of Lincoln is that Spielberg kind of knew that. Yes. yes. And so yes. casting the film ahead of time you watch the movie, you recognize these faces, it's two parts. It's one, okay, I know who's going to be important, I know who's not going to be important, because I recognize, I fucking, I've watched Breaking Bad, so I, I, I know Gail Bedecker, exactly. I saw there will be blood, yeah, I, I know, know who, yeah. yeah, exactly. Or, yeah. but, or, not or, but at the same I time. I saw girls, I know I'm driver. Of course, right. of yeah. course, yeah. delivering that telegram, being a real fuckboy. <laughs> but at the same time, I think it's also his... We're allowed to say fuck on your podcast, right? <laughs> if not, we're fucked. I, I'm, ble- I'm bleeping this. Oh, I'm good. Ble- I think that I'm bleeping all of you. <laughs> I think that Spielberg's appeal to... It's just one long... The idea of, like... It's the belongs to the ages line. It's it's like, no, these people were important because they did change something. So My I want way. them represented on screen yeah. by faces that you revere. Yeah, exactly. And it goes and it rewards. It's 150 speaking parts. That's the most Spielberg has ever had That's to true. cast. That's true. Something like that. Yeah, wow. like I mean, 145, something like that. Totally. Yeah, I mean, it was also amazing. This weirdly, his most Altman movie. Yeah, it's it's his most. I, I think it's the Altman quality that that I was going to bring up as well. That yeah, it's you his see, Nashville. Yeah, it's his Nashville. I've never that that you see. Um, I mean, for me too. That uh, Lincoln is popping out of it, a history textbook. That if you ask any history professor, they'll say that Lincoln is maybe the most important or their favorite president, whatever like definition no, you're not that fits wrong. that. Absolutely. And I think for everyone surrounding him, they both support and challenge Lincoln for being more than just an American icon, but actually just a person. And I think because um, you know because he's being challenged, that's what makes him three dimensional, and that's that's honestly that's what keeps this movie going uh, for more than just an importance. Thing. That from just a message movie for me, it just it feels as though it's a it's a political drama more than a biopic. Yeah, and I think that it could have, especially with the title Lincoln, right? And we could have spent a bunch of time with him as a child. Exactly. Yeah, you finish. cut to a log cabin. <laughs> the birth of Lincoln is right. then shown. But I think that that's to this film's credit is, yeah, the idea of like removing the. It doesn't always have to be about what's fundamental in a person. It's what they do when they've got the power or the authority or whatever. And yeah, I think I think that that's, again, one of the, the successes of Lincoln is like, I don't care what Lincoln did when he was six. Yeah. I, it doesn't matter. We can watch young Mr. Lincoln for that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah. exactly. We, we can go yeah. back to another text, clearly a text that Spielberg is familiar with because he's, yes. he's John Ford. Man. Yes. So like... Yeah, go back to Young Mr. Lincoln and watch that. Yes. If you want to absorb, like, the full life story stuff. But yeah, I think that that's also one of the biggest successes of Lincoln is it's like... But it's also like, 
it's pure Spielberg, man. It's it's the idea of okay, I could bore you with all the extras, I could bore you. or I could focus in on what's going to be the most kind of marketable part of this guy's and I think I career think to that what because because I mean those were the, I'm sorry those no, no, are no. the most successful biopics like one that I hold dearly that was very formative to me in 2015 was Love and Mercy well that shit you know, sucked oh, no I'm kidding oh, oh my God. <laughs> Sorry. I was gonna, oh, I was gonna be so embarrassed. No, it was good. It was I was going to be I'm so, sorry. so embarrassed. First of all, first you're not, of all. You're seriously not kidding? No, I'm not okay, kidding. Okay, no, 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 no. The movie's good. The movie's good. The movie's good. The movie's good. Say it, it one more good. time and I'll believe you. No, no, no. The movie's good, but my point was even if I thought it was terrible, it shouldn't matter. But I like that movie a lot. Anyway. Anyway. It's focusing on uh, I'm sorry, fucking I'm sorry. Brian fucking Wilson as uh, as, as an adult and a younger up, picking person. Up, picking a period. Picking a period, exactly. the pivotal point into yes. how these people people change is so much more effective and cinematic than just the uh what are they like the, the um cradle to grave yeah right, right. Yeah, birth right. And, exactly. um, yeah. yeah and and so it's something like that and i saw that just like not knowing much about brian wilson in like fifth summer well, of 2015 I, 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 and just the, like the, that meant a lot to me just to see what a real life story can be and um yeah focusing on just this, this month-long much. period exactly. of lincoln is so so effective, and Kushner recognized that. Well, I mean, you know, in the case of the Brian Wilson thing, it's so important because you're you're seeing something that we have by this point been encouraged to take for granted, right? The making of Pet Sounds. You hear that it's like, oh yeah, he was a nutty guy, but he made a perfect album or whatever. And you actually see what that looked like, you know, and then you see the aftermath of that. I, you know, like really earnestly and and and, and respectably done. And you actually see the craft of the music making in yeah, Love and Mercy. Where, he's, where they're I talking th- to him about the... Which do you think the, we've like, forgotten uh, to, to include that part in, in Music My Fix? Like, no, yeah, right? <sighs> no, it's, I mean, like, you know, them talking about the, like, the every musician in the orchestra being like, well, that's not how it's done, right? But it's not in such a, like, it's not in a... There, you know, like there are a million biopics where people hear something and they're like, hey, I'm, you know, <laughs> right, like they right. like all but score it with a fucking laugh and horn God. sting. But that's the that's the exciting part is that you, you, you put things in a situation and you deal with people the way that you can. I was thinking about this while we were watching Blonde today. If I never hear a man from the 21st century say, well, Xanax's not going to like this, then I'll die a happy man because... <laughs> Every time you try to put antiquity in the mouths of modern actors, you run the risk of fucking your whole movie up. And a movie like Lincoln just being... Okay, you know, and, and this is something ultimately that he gets from Ford, right? Because you got to think about Lincoln's cinematic history. You know, Lincoln, Lincoln on screen is a very, very specific thing. Sam Waterston would have played him in the 80s for that uh, Lamont Johnson miniseries, which was a huge deal at the time. It covers him for a little bit and shows you this, this, and that. John M. Stahl directed a silent series of vignettes from Lincoln's life in about 1915, 1916. All of them really good in a way that you can't quite put your finger on. Um, he shows up, Lincoln, for a few minutes in a couple of... I mean, he shows up in John Ford's The Iron Horse for a moment. I believe he also shows up in Birth of a Nation, but I could be mistaken about that. Um, and then he's in uh, John Ford's Prisoner of Shark Island where he gets shot, and that sets off the plot, and then he, of course, shows up again in Young Mr. Lincoln by John Ford. He's also in D.W. Griffith's Abraham Lincoln, a, a, a quite poor film, unfortunately, and Griffith's last, really, his last real, you know, big one. Um, and, but the whole point is that every one of these gives you this much of Lincoln, and I think he learned from that, that you cannot hope to show the entirety of somebody's life, which he tried to do in The Color Purple, and I don't think necessarily succeeded, but that's exactly it. Neither do I. We, 
this is, you know, a window into a guy spend a week with him, right? And that's what they do here. And it's a perfect thing, is that he's not conflicting with the other versions of cinematic Lincoln. It's not erasure. It's not erasure, and it's not... And it's not, there's no ego. There's no ego in thinking that I'm going to replace some other guy's version of who Lincoln was or what Lincoln did. And I think it's easy to, to approach biopics with some sort of ego. That Certainly because, you... because biopics are necessarily a reflection of the yeah. ego of the director. This yeah. is the definitive version, version right. of this thing. Right. I figured them out. You didn't. Yes. yes. And that's, you know, ultimately the interesting thing about Blonde is that Blonde is not about Marilyn Monroe. Blonde, I mean, you know, she's Laura Palmer. You know, mm-hmm. that's she's Marilyn Monroe doesn't exist in that movie. There is no Marilyn Monroe. It's just this. this it's Norma Jean. Yeah, it's yeah. Norma Jean. Well, because there's there's multiple scenes where she's trying to conjure her exactly in front of a mirror because she's upset. Like it's a seance or something. Yeah, she exactly. Has to put a face and so on. the whole point is that you you know Marilyn Monroe doesn't matter to the success of Blonde. If if Marilyn Monroe didn't exist, the movie Blonde would have invented her. Lincoln here has to be all things to all people and Daniel Day-Lewis thank God is a talented enough actor to give most of them to us but that's exactly the point is this isn't about us walking away with a definitive portrait of Abraham Lincoln we get a good portrait a lasting portrait a very very cinematic portrait but the point is this isn't even about Lincoln we get a couple of moments right we get the most melodramatic moments certainly we get the most Circean moments when you know I should have for everybody's goddamn sake I should have clapped you in the madhouse <laughs> Sorry to our listeners for putting the audio <laughs> in the red. But that's Someone, ex- someone's like doing this face right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. Ah, uh, shit! Oh my god. Someone just crashed their car. No thanks. <laughs> someone, so, someone just put on the next podcast okay, exactly, that was yes. after this. Listen, if they made it this far, they're... I know. This podcast is really the uh, My American Friend to... <laughs> oh, American life. Cousins. American yeah, Cousins. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. To <laughs> someone's life. That's right. But it, it's interesting that we keep bringing up blondes. Because it's like Lincoln and Marilyn Monroe are like two opposite ends of the spectrum exactly, right. with the biopic interpretation that Marilyn Monroe is this enormous screen presence that's that's lasted long after the Misfits. And then you get to Lincoln, who we hardly have any like tr- memories of. of we don't like, even know what his like, voice sounds. Right. We right. know the voice sounds are like, you know, not... Yeah, as many archival footage in, of in, any yeah, other exactly, yeah. uh, president. You know what I mean? And got, I think it's... paintings of it. That's yeah, really yeah. It. And then this allows this to be more of an interpretation like we may go into Blonde thinking of as an, of an imitation in a lesser movie. Um, and yeah, with Daniel D-Lewis, one of two movies he's he's done this decade. I, and it's a fascinating thing Is to look at before... Fan of Lincoln? Fan of Thread Lincoln, that's it, yeah. Is that really it? That's it. And then that's he insane. walks away it's after insane. Fan of Thread. He yeah he goes he goes toe to toe with Vicky Crepes and then that's it, but then he follows this up with nine which I've always found fascinating. No no, no he did nine beforehand didn't he? Oh no no that's what I meant sorry that's what I meant to say. Yeah because he did there will be blood and then he did nine. That, and that's right like, that's <laughs> what I meant I meant to say that. Thank yeah, fucking yeah. God because if ugh. <laughs> and, and fuck you know I don't I don't I get that right. that was supposed to be Javier Bardem I don't I don't it get it. It would have been better if it was but also you couldn't have saved that movie Rob Marshall <laughs> Rob. is frankly I mean you know not that, to, you know, he should have had a career as a I don't believe that's a real person but um <laughs> he's a psyop no he's a, <laughs> that's an alias uh I no and this is the Fucking definitive loathe. interpretation I think what we don't consider um one, I think that Spielberg is a master in casting, is that that isn't talked about as much as it should be. But Daniel Dillis is very charismatic. And for someone to be as soft-spoken and as folksy as mm. this interpretation of Lincoln is, um, that is just someone that Spielberg will gravitate to 
for the leading characters yeah. like Harrison Ford, who was rumored to be in this as Andrew Jackson, uh, like Tom Cruise or Andrew like Tom. Jackson. Yeah. Did you hear about that? Oh, wow. And like Tom Hanks and these people that can carry a movie. Of course, we know that Daniel Day-Lewis can, but charisma is not something that people think about with. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Ultimately, yeah. when you're selling a movie, it's not, you know, I mean, yeah. you think about the, unfortunately, the rise and fall of Brandon Frazier. That was one of our most charismatic movie stars, and everybody was perfectly happy to let him go away, yeah. which doesn't make any sense to me, but that's exactly what happened. Right. Um, it, yeah, but you're right. I mean, he is a master casting, because every single part here, you now can't imagine being done by anybody else, with the exception of Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who fucking sucks up the joint. He's really the only weak link in this movie. Yeah, Mr. Corman shows up, and he fucks up this whole movie. <laughs> Mr. Um, but And apparently would not have been able to do it if not... For the amount of prep time that Daniel Day Lewis needed, that sucks. If who could we have yeah, gotten? Do you yeah. think? Dane um, DeHaan. Dane DeHaan would have done um, okay. Daniel Radcliffe would have been good. All this to say, um, you're right that basically every part here has been perfectly cast. That every minor face sticks with you because it's perfectly in this vein of weird antiquity Caucasians. You know, like it, it's it's just a per, it's a sea of perfect faces. I mean, it's almost Fellini esque here. All the facial hair and the weird. You know, haircuts and, you know, all that. Did you see James Spader was in this? My, oh. my man. My, oh, my gosh. My Did you guys see that? Man. Yeah. Oh. A, a, thing, a thing that always hits me when I watch Lincoln is, um, it's like Spielberg's weird, uh, like, rogues gallery of masculinity. Well, can I tell you that the, the, the <laughs> thing, the, the thing I, I don't, I, I have to assume he... That, that's his Che Guevara at Lincoln. Yeah, pick, yeah, Che pick one, pick one. one. I have to assume he knew what he was doing here, because the, to me, the movie that this reminds me of as the, like, angelic flip side of is Otto Preminger's Advice and Consent, mm-hmm. which is about the, 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 the running of a conservative politician. You got... Henry, every great actor was in that movie. That was Charles Lawton's last performance, and he's so fucking good in it. Um, delivering this kind of the Peter McRobbie performance as representative. I don't even remember. That's what this movie is the mirror image of, is is advice and consent. It's You're getting an ugly window into the political process, except that Spielberg weirdly has faith in it and Preminger doesn't, because Preminger was a German or an Austrian or something at least, and he knew where that shit led. He knew what happened when you let the people decide what goes on because it leads to Nazism because he spent most of his career playing Nazis on film, you know, and that was exactly, it's like, and Spielberg, his optimism takes over and he can't fully let himself become this even though he's already made Schindler's List at this point, which is also weirdly an optimistic movie about the Holocaust. Um, Yeah, well, I mean, that's why, uh, what's his name? The show a guy hates it. Yeah, of course. Claude Lansman. <laughs> and he's right to do it. Honestly, Godard hated it too. Yeah, yeah. You know, and Godard was a famous anti-Semite. I mean, rest in peace. I love him, but he was. Um, he there was a famous story where he was trying to he was trying to do a movie and he was it was basically it was gonna be like the guy Savoir, but it was going to be him and Claude Lansman in a room discussing things. But every time Claude Lansman shows up, Godard wouldn't make the appointment. He'd be like, Oh, I'm sorry, I can't make it that day. It's like, oh yeah, it's because I'm a huge anti-Semite. <laughs> I can't bother to have my political opinions deconstructed by a smarter guy than me. <laughs> Like, and I love him to, de- to death, I do, but that's, yeah, you're right, you're right. God, I haven't thought about that in years. <laughs> but all this to say, I'm sorry, I've been circling the drain on this opinion for the last 20 minutes. Um, Jared Harris, as you listen to Grant, it's yeah, we perfect We haven't yeah. even talked about My it man, Jared, I love Jared Harris so fucking much. Jared Harris um, and his wife, they called me drunk on his mm. birthday once, um, which was so much fun, and, uh, and they, like, he told me that he was trying to convince Spielberg to talk him into a, a miniseries yeah, about... Uh, uh, a, a Grant miniseries. A Grant miniseries was one of the you, most amazing... You have a connection with them, how? 
I I made a video essay about Jared. His wife found it and uh, and showed it to him. And then I went to the New York premiere of the premiere of the Terror. Um, still one of the finest hours of television I've ever fucking seen. Um, and that's I met Dave Kajanek, um, who was the screenwriter. But I pissed him off, I think, because I gave Spiria a bad review. <laughs> but he's a good writer. He's a good writer. Like nothing against him. He's a great writer. I, I I understand what he was doing with that movie. And I understand what he still does. I mean, he wrote uh, Pet Cemetery, which I like a lot yeah. too. Um, you know, and he's and he's got a new one, I think, with uh, uh, Guadagnino, uh, Flesh and Blood or Flesh and Bone. Bones and all. Bones and all. I'm excited. I don't yeah, know. I yeah. hope it'll be good. But yeah, Kajanik's a good writer, and The Terror is a great season of TV, and he worked with Jared Harris on that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I went to, I went to, I went to, I saw the, I saw the Ulysses Grant bust that Steven Spielberg gifted to Jared Harris. It was like, <sighs> can you imagine being in his movie? Like uh, Pat Healy talked about this that when he was on the set of The Post. Steven Spielberg used to talk about talk to him like another director. He'd be like, "Oh, did you see this movie? Did you see the decisions they made there?" And they like talk about things like mm. like two artists. That's how Spielberg relates to people. It's not, "I'm your director. You got to listen to me." It's, ah, "Did you see that thing?" You know that the the the, the irrepressible spirit of youth. And the, the the thing that I think that saved Spielberg and kept him young was that when he was a kid, going to Hollywood, and making his movies, and all that stuff, and going to the beach parties and all that shit. De Palma, Scorsese, Coppola, all them fucking guys, you know, uh, Henry, uh, what the fuck is his name? That guy, he's not talented. He was Orson Welles' friend. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Jack Nicholson. Those guys were all fucking and doing drugs. And Spielberg was not. Big nerd. Big mm. nerd. nerd. And yeah. he held on Square. to Square. Square. Yeah. Yeah. That's why he gets along with the people he gets along with and why he's so excited by other people because he never felt like he was being satiated by the bacchanalia presented to him by all things. And, like I, and I just love him for that because I feel exactly the same fucking way. Because you know, when we were in college, we weren't in a fucking free for all coked up fuck fest. We were two nerds who wanted to talk about assassination of Jesse James. Right. That was our whole thing. We were talk about the village. And now you're a couple of nerds who want to talk about blonde. Fuck you, pal. <laughs> <laughs> If you start a new podcast, we'd love to come in for blood. It's absolutely yeah. <laughs> And then to the 2020s. Yes. No, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, that's the thing is that, like, you know, whatever our, our you know, he's married with stepchildren and, like, doing good things and having a nice life. And he shot a number of my movies, which I'm prepared to say are the prettiest things I've ever seen. He's also just, like, a normal guy. You know yes. what I mean? Like, just, yes. like, a normal human being. It's, and that's... That, it's that humility that keeps him... Uh, curious. It's and that curiosity. It's the curiosity that I think relates to. I mean, I'm talking about an episode that we haven't released yet uh, for Faces Places. That it's the I Agnes Varda. I hope that Jr. chokes on a bone. <laughs> it's this. <laughs> I hope he's eating a rotisserie chicken. <laughs> he chokes on a bone. Le rotisserie chicken. Uh, <laughs> I hate that fucking guy. Um, what a piece of shit. Yeah, it's that. It's the thing that Agnes Varda had a lot of the time. That she had even the olden, even in her olden older age it's the youthful vigor that kept her going it was so noticeable i think spielberg is is the same way i think the pat healy story is very interesting because the love of film and the and the admiration for people like ingmar bergman and palin pressburger stuff like that yeah i mean Um, ingmar bergman famously visited the set of jaws yeah great picture of him looking at the shark um it's not something that you think of with Spielberg that no. you do with like Scorsese and Tarantino and people who wear their love of cinema on their sleeves. Exactly. I think that that keeps him very personable. Yeah, and it's true. And I think a lot of Spielberg is keeping most of himself at a distance at a from distance, people yes. because the more you know about somebody, the less mysterious, and thus the less there is to read into the works themselves. If you tell everyone everything there is to know about yourself, 
what mysteries are left, essentially. And so by not being a very accessible public figure, you leave it open to your audience to discover these Because it's, the, it's that combo of being like, well, I could have been a better Jew, but yet... My dad was not that great at being a dad. Exactly. Right? My, so it's like, we know this, but it's like, exactly. huh, I didn't yeah. consider you to, to feel exactly. lackluster in your own religious the, yeah, and, the, yeah. and the little things that come out in that way, they make him more human, you know? Yeah. And that's yeah, absolutely. very exciting. I mean, and again, like, you think about, it, you know, Spielberg for years among the series, you know, whether it's Jay Hoberman, Jonathan Rosenbaum, Roger Ebert, uh, Andrew Saris... He was not a guy who was respected in the same way because there really didn't feel like there needed to be all that much respect for him because he was everywhere. He was ubiquitous. He was Hitchcock, you know? He and, was. And he's a billionaire. And he was a billionaire for fuck. Yeah, he's taking, you know, private DreamWorks jets to fucking Israel. Right. He found DreamWorks. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. He's a millionaire. Yeah. And so, but the thing is that he's interesting enough that when the Jewish Lives series approached Molly Haskell and said, Do you want to write about Steven Spielberg? She said, Yes, because there is something there. Because whatever else is true, you know, there is always something to be discovered. And the best of our artists will always leave us with something that we want to explore, something we want to know more about, something we want to see again. A movie like Munich, a movie like Munich, you could watch it 4,000 times and never exhaust the supplies of intrigue and, 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 and biography that are hiding in that film. Yeah, I, I think that Munich and AI, mm. which is my definitive number one, thing that he's ever I mean, made well, for me. you're wrong. And but... <laughs> 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 AI is your favorite? It's, it, I mean, it circulates between AI, Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, but right now I'll say for interesting argument... Choices. I'll say Good, a, interesting choices. AI for me, like, I mean, for sake of argument, but I think that one, like you say with Munich, is incredibly haunting and, and profound and pontificating on these ideas that he hadn't explored, honestly, maybe even since. No, I don't. I but think you're it's right. this one thing where he's just like, I need to say something that I need to make a film about, well, but I just think... can't explore quite the same way in any other movie. And yet, I think you can kind of say that for a lot of different films, but that's a very specific. Well, case. I mean, I, you're 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 on the money with that, and the idea that Kubrick approached him and he had never done this to anybody. He was friends with Ridley Scott. He loved Toby Hooper. He was an avid cinephile. He watched a million things. But the Have you explored Toby Hooper's filmography? I think you would love it. No, I mean, after I, after I wrote the first book, I kind of tapered off. He just didn't seem all that interesting after the first You're book. You're just like... Yeah. <laughs> I've only seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But that was... You know, there's a famous story Ridley Scott and, 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 and uh, Stanley Kubrick running into each other in London and both of them essentially... I mean, this isn't true, but they have the print of Texas Chainsaw <laughs> under their arms having come from the same printing house to go get it at a different time. But that's not, like, that's not how it happened, but still. So, Kubrick kept up with movies, right? He watched everything. He watched fucking everything. He screened everything in his house. He had prints delivered to his London house and blah, blah, blah. So, the idea that the one time really, that he reaches out to another filmmaker and says, I have this idea, I think you'll do it better than me. And the funny thing about it is, and he talks about this, Spielberg, the stuff that everybody assumes is Spielberg's ideas were Kubrick's, and the things that everybody assumes are Kubrick's ideas were Spielberg. Well, because you've got Aryan Papers, which Spielberg mm -hmm. got to first. Uh-huh. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and... Well, I guess you can't really count the Napoleon thing. Well, I mean, Scott's about to do it. I'm yeah. fucking psyched as shit about mm -hmm. that. God, that's gonna be so good. But that's exactly it. And so... In AI, you have an artist essentially defining themselves through absence, right? Doing something somebody else gave to them and thought through for them and trying to almost, like, 
do right by them, but also to prove themselves to this person, to prove that they are the artist that Kubrick is by going as dark and as hard as possible and answering all these existential questions. I think he burned through that fucking movie without thinking about it. And then afterwards was like, wow, I really said some stuff there, didn't I? <laughs> I, think, I think to that idea that he keeps on wanting to prove himself, it almost goes in line with wanting to challenge himself still and that enthusiasm idea that he still has. He's still the kid that wasn't nominated for Best Director for Jaws. Jaws, even though Jaws right? Spinell and, and ju- <laughs> asked him to. I know. And Who was, was he thinking directed that movie, Shock? <laughs> That's a fucking great I clip. I love that clip so <laughs> much. Jaws Spinell for president, man. My fucking hero. Him, him in Vigilante going... Oh, God, Your Honor, what are you talking about? He was like so hungover and vigilant. He he is for the people. Oh, um, Joe Spinell's for the people. Yeah, like and even and even Lincoln. Back to Lincoln, where he's still challenging himself. Is he's now trying to make his Altman movie? It's true. And he's trying to make something. Well, I mean, he's trying to make ultimately that, a, the and, most American movie ever made. It's yeah, Altman, but yeah. it's Capra. It's and blah blah yes, blah. You yes. know, it's, it's and, and he had this he had this quote or some that's something along the lines of it's my most talky movie. That it's the most. Scenes of people talking in a room without much leg room. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I mean, that's all the movie is. There's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, other, other than, the, other opening, than the, the opening battle sequence, that's right. Private Harold no, Greens. There's no rolling boulders. Nope, that no. is the fucking. I mean, the goat. The goat is the closest yeah. thing you guys to a rolling boulder. Yeah. Don't encourage this. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, but the thing is that a movie, a movie that is all dialogue, teaches you again how to direct dialogue. Yeah. We talked about this. That you. And yet it's back, it's back to basics. Of course. Where it's just like it's it, it, he's in his well, what I mean, like yeah. fifth decade, sixth decade his career. At this well, I mean, point. if you think about and, him really starting with the TV movies in nineteen. 1971-1972, we were talking about it at that point of 40th anniversary? Yeah, you're you're in his you're in his fifth decade of yeah. filmmaking. None of us came here for math, but the point is he's been at this for a long time. <laughs> That's true. And yet it, it's still just these very base I mean, of course, like you're you're making a movie with a playwright, I suppose that's inherent in, in the material they're given. Mm-hmm. But yet it's still it's still interesting where it's it's like this David Fincher thing too. And I I, I think that they're similar uh, points where they don't have to expand too, too much to to really still challenge themselves. I think the difference between Spielberg and Fincher is that Spielberg was somebody who was hopping on the train at the moment that its most important conductors were retiring. And Fincher got on long after everybody was dead. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's true. And, and the difference is that it's very easy to insert yourself into the narrative of American history and American film when you're there at the same time as Howard Hawks and John Ford. I mean, every one of those guys, Friedkin, Coppola, they all have their own stories about those people. Larry Cohen put Sam Fuller in Return to Salem's Lot. There was conversation between them. By the time you get to the 90s, everybody's retired or dead at that point. Bud Bedecker has written his last letter. You know, whoever it is, those guys are gone. And now you have to make things up. And thus, you can be more of a punk... Like my 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 beloved Mark Pellington, uh, 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 or or David Fincher, or any of the music video guys, you can make things up. You know, you can kind of just take history and be like, all right, well, you know, this is important. We're using it, but we're also gonna fucking make shit up as we go, and that mm-hmm. is important and cool. Fincher, I think, I think he flinches at I think he David David Fincher David Fincher at the, the idea the of history finally in making Mank. Because he sto- he forgets. He forgets yeah. what it means to be a punk. He forgets making Alien 3 because he wants to, to his detriment. Because that movie He disowns cool. it. Yeah, he disowns right. it. It's like what we talked about. Yeah. Well, yeah. But that's the thing, is that Spielberg is always in touch with everything he's ever done, but he doesn't say so, and that's mm. the fucking difference. Yeah. 
See, I decided that the Constitution gives me war powers, but no one knows just exactly what those powers are. Some say they don't exist. I don't know. I decided I needed them to exist to uphold my oath and protect the Constitution when I decided meant take the rebel slaves from this property confiscated in war that might recommend a suspicion that I agree with the rebels that slaves are property in the first place. Of course, I don't. Never have. I'm glad to see any man free of calling men property or war contraband does the trick. Why I caught it the opportunity. Now, here's where it gets truly slippery. I use the law allowing for the seizure of property in a war, knowing it applies only to the property of governments and citizens of belligerent nations, while the South and a nation. That's why I can't negotiate with them. So, in fact, the Negroes are property according to the law. Have I the right to take the rebels' property from them if I insist they're rebels only and not citizens of a belligerent country? It's slippery still if I maintain in our actual southern states in rebellion, but only the rebels living in those states, the laws of which remain in force, the laws of which states remain in force. It means that since it states laws that determine whether Negroes can be sold as slaves as property, the federal government doesn't have a say in that, at least not yet. Negroes in those slave states, hence property, hence my war powers, allow me to confiscate them as such, so I confiscate them. But if I'm respecter of states' laws, how can I legally free them of my proclamation as I done? Unless I'm canceling states' laws, I felt the war demanded it, my oath demanded it, I felt my right within myself, I hoped it was legal to do it, I'm hoping still, two years ago I proclaimed these people emancipated, then, henceforth, and forever free. I'd say the court decided I had no authority to do it. They may well decide that. There is no amendment abolishing slavery says after the war I can no longer use my war powers to just ignore the court's decision like I sometimes felt I had to do. Might those people I ordered free be ordered back into slavery? That's why I'd like to get the 13th Amendment in the House on its way to ratification by the states. Wrap the whole slavery thing up forever and die as soon as I'm able now. End of this month, I'd like... You just stand behind me like my cabinet's most always done. The preacher said I could write shorter sermons, but once I start, I get too lazy to stop. Wrap the whole slavery thing up. <laughs> Forever and die. Put a bow on that. Put a bow on slavery. It was and, done. And it's funny, you were talking about like composition and how it's back to basics. I was complaining earlier to scout about how uh, you watch a lot of modern film and television now where they're using a lot of green screen and uh, oh God, the yeah. camera tends to kind of do this. Just like a general floating thing. It's just like act two actors talking. Right. And the camera just sort of <laughs> unmotiv- unmotivated floats around, pans, whatever it is. And it's... Leggings are real. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> compositionally, compositionally speaking, it, it's like n- no, it, it's you can you can do the most simple stuff in the world, but if you marshal that into a motivated use, it's the most impactful camera pan dolly. Tilt. Well, I mean, you're Lincoln, gonna see. Lincoln. Lincoln is a movie that never makes you want for anything. Right. Yeah. You know exactly what you need to know. You see exactly what you need to see. Yeah. Well, it's it's the yeah. scene we were, we were. I think we were having that discussion about where Lincoln's kind of addressing his cabinet. They're all sitting at a table, and the camera starts here and kind of slowly does this like to give you a sense corkscrew turn around the table. Lincoln kind of stays in the foreground for a while, and you slowly reveal the whole cabinet listening to him. And then the camera bounces, bounces way back here and does this very slow zoom for a. For well, a I don't think it's a zoom. I think it's a push in. I think mm-hmm. it's a dolly. Yeah, yeah. 
but a camera comes in on a monologue and it's but it's all absolutely motivated camera use and it's something that I think that has helped Lincoln in the years since it's come out as kind of really highlighting the the value of having a real filmmaker at the helm exactly is like yeah man I mean you, <laughs> you could have just done weird floaty camera bullshit this whole movie with the same script even the same actors yeah and it wouldn't be the same movie because you're, you're not using the medium the way you're supposed to use it you're not emphasizing the right things you're not downplaying or upplaying the right moments like well it's, I mean another thing another you know this is maybe less to the point but it's still true how many movies can you think of where you're thinking about a scene and you know what temperature it is in the room? Yeah. Yeah. And that, to me, is the genius of something like Lincoln. You always know everything you need to know. I think we just come up with the perfect ending yeah. of the movie because yeah. we were all just entranced by I know, true. <laughs> Uh, and pause here. No, um, every that was really beautiful. Like yeah. I said, like I'm happy to have shared yeah. that yeah. moment with you guys. We're like we we said the thing and then we, we took a deep way. breath. Um, we... Everything is at its right tempo. Yeah, and everything is calculated, but it doesn't feel so calculated. And in how it's it's it, it almost feels too perfect. That I think it, it because it's it's a political drama and has drama with weight and actual like three dimensional to it. Um, the entire production feels feels like it has a life to it, just like the camera does, and those things are are in sync with each other. Um, and and Superlord doesn't he knows that he doesn't need to be flashy with the camera because we know that he can be, and yeah. because it's like he's he's almost like rejecting that notion. Like no, let's I mean, let's well, like I mean, you know, if you saw this oh, this image here of Lincoln gosh, on his deathbed, yeah. like, just stripped of context, you could be forgiven for thinking it was like an Alexander Sakharov movie, I mean, yeah. or or just a painting, yeah, mm-hmm. because yeah. it feels that way. We were talking about that with it's Last like, of the Mohicans, which celebrated its, its um, 30th anniversary yeah, today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's exactly the thing. That another Dan at, Lewis picture. Another Dan Lewis. God, Dan Lewis. Yeah, we, had a, we had a heavy Dan Lewis, Lewis day. day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just did it! You just figured it out! <laughs> it was a real Daniel Dan Lewis day. day. It was a real Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. That's, That's good. good. That's a good one. That'll, that'll do. I think if I heard that pun today, it'd make me sick. It's been a real good day. <laughs> That's why I'm going to Katnandu. <laughs> it's really, really what I want to do. <laughs> I ain't got nothing against the East Coast. <laughs> You want some people where they got the most. <laughs> we should say, we spent a lot of time before he showed up just doing Bob Seger lyrics as Daniel Day-Lewis's Lincoln voice. So you're a little bit older and a lot less bolder. Rock and roll never forgets. All of this is Daniel. It's been a real Daniel Day-Lewis. And this best concert get me to Katmandu <laughs> now 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 now, now. rock <laughs>
will never forget. Let's get those old records off the shelf. Clothed in immense power. Clothed in immense power. You're about to. What is it? You're, you're about to tell a story. Oh yeah, but yeah, yeah. Oh. You're about to sing Katmandu, aren't you? <laughs> I don't think I can stand to hear you sing Katmandu one more time. I love that song. I love that song. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob Seger came what he done to do. And it came out. He thought about going to Catman. It was a picture of the band Mountain on the wall. He said, do you not think it appropriately hang? He said, no, I think it's quite appropriate. Nothing makes an Englishman rock quicker than a picture of... I love that song. Mississippi Queen. You know what I mean? You know what I mean. Fulfilling at least for the Mississippi Queen's part. The prophecy. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm sorry, listeners. None of that is going out. <laughs> none of that. None of that. Well, you're a little bit older. You're a lot less bolder than you used to be. <laughs> Won't we stop uh, this bleeding? Won't we stop? This is, this, is, this is ultimately, Jack, you have to admit why you have us on. I don't know what else to tell to you. To be pure buffoons. <laughs> to be fucking chimps. <laughs> to be gibbons. A brace of gibbons on your podcast. Much like the people who ruined our blonde screening. <laughs> this is the opening. I forgot that we I forgot we didn't tell people about the old couple at blonde. Yeah. So nobody knows what I'm talking no, about on the podcast. We skipped, that we skipped it. No. Fuck. Alright. Oh god. Oh, Alright. Well I think that's plenty. Let's go get a beer. <laughs> we just we just saw uh directed by Steven Spielberg with the movie I mean, where did this idea come from where it's the Spielberg doesn't know how to end a movie thing? Is the, Did it start no, in I think, I think, the I 21st mean, century? Here's, here's, what I'll, here's what I'll offer as, as a counterpoint to that. I would also uh, go so far as to say that neither The Clash nor Led Zeppelin knows how to end a song. doesn't fucking matter. A lot right. of fade-outs. A lot of fade-outs. Or just kind of slow. Sort I just of want to say I don't stuff. share this take. I this is the consensus. No, that no, no, it feels no, no, like. no, 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 and then it doesn't end there, and then they're on the TV, and they're doing the thing, and then that's not enough, and then you're in the fucking thing, and you're watching the dinosaurs actually on the island again. Like, I understand that, but also, I mean, this is a guy who's trying to make a new myth of America. Mm-hmm. What Can I ask, what are the arguments for Spielberg can't end a movie? I know that, it, that a big one is Minority Report, for example. That that one ends with well, that's a very the I mean precogs in the cabin. Yeah, 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 yes, yes. Just think of that, where it's like you could end this movie at multiple moments, but yet you let it continue on for just the sake of it. And well, I and I don't, just, I don't, I don't. I think it's that he's got. I mean, you know, at the, at the risk of kind of guilty. I know. I don't like that either. I don't like. Yeah, <laughs> it's just let it go on. Yeah, but it's. But I mean, okay. So I'll 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 tell you something. Uh, Tucker and I have a friend named Noah Alps. And, and years and years ago, Noah asked a great animator, a, a brilliant mind. I just love him. He's like the male Sarah Squirm. I love him so much. Um, 
years and years ago, Noah asked me about Apocalypse Now Redux. And he said, you know, what's the difference between this and the original cut? And I said, well, if I like being in a filmmaker's world, why wouldn't I want to spend more time there, right? That was my kind of my, my thing for all this. why I love the Dawn of the Dead director's cut and all this. When you've created a world I can relate to and want to be there for, even if it's horrifying, if it's texturally interesting, then I want to be there as long as I can. And that's the idea, is that, like, yeah, Minority Report is fucking insane in a thousand ways, but... If you're, like, riding its wavelength, then, yeah, go forever. Why stop? Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if there was another hour of Lincoln, I'd launch that yeah. right now. Yeah. You know, like, may, I understand it, I, but I think part of that is Spielberg's tacit admission that he understands his place in the American cinematic landscape and the American cinematic historical lineup, where he doesn't know when to stop because he doesn't know what people want from it. Mm-hmm. Which is fair enough, because he spent his whole career trying to figure out what people want, and nine times out of ten, it doesn't really work out in his favor anyway. The movies make money, they get bad reviews, or they're criticized afterwards, or people don't right. like hey, Crystal Skull. pick them apart. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's the thing, is that when you are the guy synonymous with an art form, people are going to do that. I mean, you know, he is, for better or worse, the Picasso of movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, that's not a one-to-one comparison, it'd be a very, very clumsy comparison, but that's exactly the point, is... is Nobody should be made to stand in for anything in the same way that people talk about, you know, uh, like Michael Jackson or, or, or Ryan Coogler or somebody where you have to stand in for every impulse ascribed to anyone you might even remotely uh, represent. Yeah. And I think that that's ridiculous. But Spielberg, not, I mean, as a filmmaker, now he's the guy that people think of when they think of movies. Yeah. And, you know? and maybe this is too broad of a it response to this. To this. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I love you. I'm sorry. You're God. I'm sorry. I gotta stop. I gotta stop. I'm sorry. You know what? Don't fuck yourself. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Don't apologize. You're sorry. Don't apologize. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. There's 20 minutes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're sorry. Listen, we're as long as you're sorry, I'm sorry. I have to finish crying um, no, before I come to the Yeah. <laughs> Our tears are on the floor. Um, just let Spielberg make these decisions. Oh, no, no, no. And then we can, right. we can let them breathe on but, their but own. That's, because, but, that's, but that's not who we are. That's right. No, I, I, no and, that's, and that's a huge crisis that we're facing. Because it's the, it's the idea that for a long time that this Lincoln political drama is in development. And it ends up being great. He makes all these interesting decisions with within how American politics came to be sure. in 2012. And then he goes and well, let me adapt Ready Player One and let me uh, adapt right. BFG. Every, let every, me every remake West Side Story. Every decision you make has to be reviewed by dint of yes. the, the yeah, other yeah, yeah. things you and decide to do. It's, which ultimately is why I think The Fablemans is great because right. he announced it and then here it is. Right, exactly. And it's like, for me, I keep going back to the idea and even when we're on the precipice of Fablemans coming out, where does the person who invented movies let is left to go exactly and and i it's just like yeah, let, what do you get if you want to do everything. bullet do bullet you know it's like i don't know i don't know Fingers it's just like cross maybe bullet. do bullet so you know what i mean like it, same, no, thing, it's true. same with marty same with you know any one of that that you talked about no, no yeah any of the guys who yeah. were the you know the movie brats the palm and all that and the, the, <clears> the problem i think ultimately the only thing i really have against spielberg is that he isn't just pumping money into right. 
Brian De Palma's pockets right now. And it, I'm sorry, it also goes to that collaboration thing. I'm, so, I'm sorry. It also goes to that collaborative nature and enthusiasm that he apologize. has. <laughs> that that it's like um, he's never been the source of like controversy, no. or he's never drowned a studio like uh, Apocalypse Now, no, or, or, or Heaven's Gate, or Heaven's Gate, right? Yeah, yeah he didn't yeah. not, not yeah. do that. Yeah. No. no, I mean, it, you know, it, it's the reason that here we go. Amblin yeah. is yeah. the name yeah. attached to all these things because when you think of Amblin, you think of money. Yeah. When Scorsese <laughs> throws money behind somebody, there is always risk inherent in it, whether it's the Snowman, which flopped, or the Souvenir Part Two, which was critically beloved. You know. The whole thing of being Scorsese is that you're not going to see a return on your investment. That's the whole fucking thing, because he believes in art. Spielberg does too, but he doesn't put his money where his mouth is in the same exact way that... I think that we benefit from being alive at a time pre-MCU uh, and post, because I think, yes. that, I think that for a long time, especially 2000 Spielberg, mm -hmm. catch me if you can, Minority Report, War of the Worlds, I think that for a lot of people, those films were coming out and they're all very good as far as I'm concerned. But I think that a lot of people looked at those movies and they're like, no, this is uh, trash. It's, it's, this well, is I think populist trash. And, and then we move into what, 2008, mm -hmm. Iron Man? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, we talked about this on the end of history. Yeah. yeah. But I think that that's what happened. I think that suddenly people mistook Spielberg for being this very like middle of the road, well, like, I mean, no, you're not an artist. You're pu you're yeah, pumping out. You're, yes. Yeah, you're a populist Bullshit. at best. But the thing too is that, as, and, as and I think there was hesitancy about what this would do, about what Lincoln would do in 2012, rather than let's say 1992. Sure, right. And well, the other thing, okay. So I mean, you know, I, I don't want to derail you. I want you to keep following your thought here. Two things. Um, it's the same joke about uh, Tarantino and the feet. We still now, everybody, every tired, fucking, stupid, hacky, bullshit Twitter argument will be like, oh, well, I was probably filming her feet. Like, fuck off. Did you see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where he makes a joke about that himself? Like, right. you know, like, you're not as clever as you think you are, but also, things can't be boiled down this way. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that changes is that now we, the, the viewer, the body popular, like, that's the, humans are now taking part in film discourse in a way that they didn't used to be. Yeah. Now, nobody, nobody used to know what we thought, right? You know what you thought when they didn't make money? Yeah. James L. Brooks' career is a great example of this. He stopped directing movies because people stopped showing up for them. And that was exactly the whole point. So sorry, p please, please keep going. Oh no, I, I, just, I think that more than anything with with not even late period Spielberg, because but maybe so, because I think that enough time has passed on Jaws and Close Encounters mm -hmm. and E.T. and all the Raiders. Jones films. And like, like, we've all had enough time to, for let it, to let it get into the into the culture and for us to kind of come up with a, a firm like, nope, this is how we feel about it. Yeah. But I think that especially the mid 2000s stuff, which I remember, like war of the worlds. I don't know. I don't think a lot of people were. All no, game it was, it worlds, was, it was and, pretty touch and go. Yeah. War of the worlds. I remember yeah. that because I, I fucking loved it, but it wasn't necessarily gospel that this was Stevie working at his usual, right. and I, you know, octane. Yeah. And I think it's. I think it became post MCU. It turned into like a real. You don't know what you got till it's gone. Uh -huh. We would have killed for the risks taken on Crystal Skull. Right, right, and and that's probably the perfect example because I remember when Crystal Skull came out. I do too. Everyone was like, "Fuck, fuck this, this. Yeah, shit!" Yeah, and it was like, 
Yeah, but it's, like, it's still kind of a movie. Well, I mean, it looks <laughs> fucking beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, Shia LaBeouf's in it, but, you know. But I, I vaguely remember Crystal Skull. That was the first movie that I ever saw my dad actively upset about. And I, that my dad showed me the Indiana Jones movies. So your dad was a right, big, a big, a big indie person, okay. and showed me all the Indiana Jones uh, movies before that, and then was actively upset Psych when we were walking out. out. Yes, yes, I see it. yes, Disappointed. yes. Disappointed. I think another thing, and I, I don't mean to mis misread what you're saying. No, no. I, I hate the way this sounds right now. I hate this. I, speaking for like my generation, like ten, ten years younger than you guys, sure. like. I don't have a Spielberg in my I don't have like a Jurassic Park no, or something but for my generation. Extremely but that is when like thinking ex- about it. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And that's why I can say like the more like morally gray, like unethical characters are like what I love in the two thousands rather than the gleaming uh pillars of hope like E. T. And, see see I love it. Or, or what I prefer. Scott and I talk about it all the time because we don't really. Give but it's because shit I have no connection. Yeah. We don't care yeah. about ET. We don't give a shit about ET because <laughs> we were, we weren't around for it. Right, no. right, right. Not to say that was you a VHS yeah. movie, yeah. but also yeah. like you know, even using let's use Jurassic Park. Yeah, because Jurassic Park, and and it's funny because I think we love that movie a whole lot. The both of us do for whatever reasons, but I was showing. No. My stepdaughters wanted to watch the new Jurassic Jurassic World, World Dominion last weekend. The most important one. And so I went, you know what? Fine. Put it on. <laughs> so we put it on. Daughter daughter number two falls asleep 20 minutes into it. Uh-huh. And daughter so number one makes it through the entire thing. And then at the end, uh, I think we were watching it on HBO Max. You stood up and clapped. And HBO Max goes... Well, you just watched Jurassic Park, uh, Jurassic World Dominion. Do you want to watch Jurassic Park? And she goes, "Uh, no." And I'm like, "Shut the fuck up!" Because, because the thing is, like, shut up. I just slap her. But it, it's it's the idea. Put a cigarette on her arm. <laughs> but it, it's he's the, going to jail yeah, next week. But, it, but it's like the idea of okay, we were raised. Ultimately, the the whole point I'm trying to arrive at is. I'm kind of envious of your experience where you're, you grew up in a particular time where you don't have like laurels thrust upon you yeah. by like, no, if you don't like Jurassic Park, you're doing it <laughs> right. Well, exactly. We didn't exactly. have that culture. I mean, right. we, we, I mean, you know, we truly fucking didn't. There was no, on the playground, and if it was like, oh, you don't like an American werewolf in Paris? What are you, a fucking idiot? <laughs> None of that shit existed yeah. until the internet. Yeah. Everyone, yeah, ever, everyone had uh, dinosaur action figures with battle damage. Dude, you better fucking believe when I had we them action up. figures. <laughs> I had that fucking Tyrannosaurus. It was this fucking big. Yeah, you it, it was everything. It, it was everything. everything. And, and, and I, was, I mean, ultimately, if I have a soft spot for Lost World, it's not because of the movies, it's because I had all them fucking all the action toys. figures. I had mm-hmm. all the all toys, the toys. which yeah. is so pathetic, but it's true. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that I think that it's perfectly excellent that you don't have like a... Like because you, said, you, can, you don't have an ace field. Right. Because you right, can draw right. your own fucking conclusions. You don't have to work through... You don't have to hack through nostalgia with a machete. Similar, but maybe different in the same way. Same year's Crystal Skull. I think it sort of... 
uh, pulls from my relationship with Avatar and James Cameron. Yeah. That I, my no, generation, you're, you're Gen right. Z, doesn't have right. a James Cameron. And Avatar means nothing to me. Right. I mean, well, I, saw, was... I saw Avatar during the pandemic. There you go. You know, and I don't think that Cameron... I, I like, but he's. I, I've just never. It's never been an event. He's not. It's never, but the thing yeah. is, I think ultimately. I can't wait to give Way of the Water three stars. I can't. Do the wait. same, by the <laughs> way. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to give it five stars, but we'll see. But that, I can't wait to, to give, it give it three, three stars. stars. But that's exactly the point: is that it doesn't. It shouldn't matter. Ultimately, is that like you know there is an argument to be made that you know again every stupid fucking clown who says well yeah to what theory says blah blah who fucking cares doesn't matter. The point is. You need to be able to look at the thing, appreciate the thing, appreciate mm-hmm. the guy who made it, understand all that, and then still be able to be like, well, it's not really for me. You know, that's the turning away doesn't make sense to me. James Cameron is a figure. We talked about this before the podcast started, Tucker and I. The, the we and I mentioned this idea also during our I know a movie that you've done some analyzing with uh, Terminator Dark Fate. No, yes, recently exactly, did which I on. love. I yeah, love Terminator yeah. Fate. I, I, think, I think Tim Miller is an idiot. I think he's a goldfish. <laughs> I don't think he has any business buying a camera. Is that, is that the one that Cameron actually came back to he produce? He produced yeah, and he yeah. wrote it. Uh, he and Billy Ray, who also wrote, of course, the Nicole Kidman AMC spots, become to this place because Hard Plague feels good. Um, <laughs> that's true. Billy Ray, he was, I mean, that movie went through like 77 screenwriters because the point was... I wanted, was a credited screenwriter. Yeah, of course, yeah, no, I remember that. They, they gave you a WGA award for that one, right? Um, but the point is, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. The, ma- the important thing is the thing in front of you, and that's what Cameron understands more than anybody. And the reason that I don't like Titanic and the reason I don't like Avatar is because the thing in front of me doesn't really move me, which is fine because I think... Again, we talked about this. Technically? Technically, it's incredible. An achievement. The the, the the subtext is unbelievable. It's I mean it's Dark Fate. Dark Fate and Avatar have exactly yes. the same problems and exactly the same strengths. It, and can I just add, I think it's fascinating that we're months months finally on on uh, coming up with Avatar sequel and yet we come to the same conclusion with Avatar. And it's not I mean, for me at least, see, seeing us right now. It's not been reappraised the way that I think it it could have been. No. Where it's just like technically proficient, I'm still not buying this. Well, the yeah. thing you know is, what I mean? Like, the thing, it's crazy. The thing that's kind of fascinating is that they're like, you know, you will have seen this being on Twitter. Most of your listeners will have seen this. The amount of people who insist that Avatar has no cultural footprint. Okay, well, how many times does that have to be said for that to equal a cultural footprint? Right. How, you know, at 450 times of people saying, well, nobody thinks about this movie, do you think, well, I think you guys are. It sounds like someone. <laughs> sounds like you were it's thinking about trending. this movie. You know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like maybe. It's trending because it's not, not important. No, it's true. I mean, that's why Tim What do you think made. trending means? Exactly. Exactly. So that's the thing is that I, you know, whatever whatever my individual qualms, I mean, and this is true Spielberg, whatever my individual concerns with every single James Cameron movie, it doesn't really matter because their place in history is assured, their yeah. ingenuity as creators is assured, and I want them to keep going. I mean, that was true at the time. I didn't like Avatar when it came out. I still don't like Avatar, but that doesn't fucking matter because I want to see what they do next because I know they're capable of greatness. Yeah. Even, you know, let's let's use Crystal Skull, right? I'm a guy who loves Steven Spielberg. I walk into Crystal Skull and I think, that shit sucks. Mm, don't you want to see what he does next, though? Because the thing he did next was... <laughs> Fast forward to two years later. More horse and yeah, yeah, yeah. Crystal Skull 2. <laughs> Crystal Skull 2. Yeah. 
It's Shia LaBeouf and the Monkees just having a musical number. It's like yeah. Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, except it's Shia LaBeouf and Monkees. It's like a Bugs on the Ritz. It's a Bugsby Berkeley. It's a bu- riff. That's right. It's a riff. But even still, I see that. Yeah. It's yeah. everybody. This fucking stupid culture is so at war with its own impermanence. Where they're like, "Well, this fucking guy's lost it. What's he doing right now? Is he in theaters?" <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. Great. Right. Yeah. Right, and right. that's exactly the, you know, it's, it's, I think that's an interesting idea that sometimes what I like to think about with things that we cover and what people will suggest to us as their favorites in the 2010s, like what, what would this mean if we, if we take a Lincoln, if we take a Terminator Dark Fate, if they fast forward in time and if they came out now, exactly, this would be insufferable. This oh, would, yeah. I, I don't know. No yeah. one would go, no to, one see would go to see this. No, Especially this, in like I mean, looking at West Side oh, Story, of course, looking at West Side Story. I mean, exactly. yeah, right, example, yeah, yeah. Though. Yeah, West Side Story. This would compete against a Marvel. We we saw West Side Story at 5 p.m. Uh, like opening the, day. Was it opening day? I believe it the was. day after, whatever. It was, like, it was right a Thursday or a Friday. I believe it was. There were, what, it was 20 no, people in the theater? If that. Honestly, I'd say 11. Amen. Amen. I mean, it was. I, I, I mean, that was that was. I mean, worse off. That was me with West Side Story. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. true. It was literally, we went to and the I, assembly I, row. A blast. A, a, perfect. Yeah. Like, what? What more could you ask for? With no, we were oh, dancing man. in the aisle. We were fucking <laughs> we so, were so happy. happy. I brought. I brought champagne. God, fucking damn it! I brought champagne. Oh my god! It, I mean, it, like, and then we're sitting there, like the two, you know, like holding. Like, oh, I know. You know, we were holding hands. We Lord, were fucking, Oh my we god! Yeah. And then afterwards, you turned to me and you said that was the quickest two hours and a half that I've ever lived through. Yeah. And it was just like, yeah, you're right. It's true because some people get it. Some people fucking get it. And certainly nobody gets it more than a director who has lived their entire life making movies who understands that they are mortal. That's exactly the point. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Are your I... listeners going to put up with this? Be honest. <laughs> be, be honest. I need an we answer. We definitely weren't as angry this time as we were. No, this. that's true. We were fucking... We were on one. <laughs> you, there was a snowstorm. I think we should also just reevaluate where we were at last time. Oh, oh God. Last time. Ohio slides. <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to do more bops. We're just going to do more bits. More bits. <laughs> Well, something that I always find very funny thinking about this award season, which people will... Titus. Yeah, yes. Christopher Titus' sitcom. That's yeah. what I always find funny. <laughs> yeah. Stacy Keach plays dad. Oh my gosh. But, you know, with um, Best Supporting Actor... Right? Yes! Cause, cause God! Like, cause who, who won? Do you know who won? It was, well, it was Christoph Waltz for Django. Fuck that shit! He already had an Oscar. Well, no, no, no. I mean, yes, this year. But but the part that I find funny is like everyone had already won, uh, like Tommy Lee Jones, uh, Alan Arkin, Argo, which curious. Uh, and yeah. then uh, yeah, that, they shouldn't give him the award for that. Um, it was showing uh, up on set. Yeah, so that's so literally the, a participation trophy. Yeah, I've ever yeah. heard one. And then Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, the master. Which, well, I mean, he, that's... he is dead by then, so they had to give it to him. Yeah, yeah. But... No, no, that's not true. He that's died in twenty fifteen. He died. No, he died in 2014 because. Did he win best supporting? It was it was a Jingo. It was Walter oh, yeah, Jingo. Right. Yeah. So Hoffman didn't win, win for the master for arguably his best, best performance. performance. Yeah. <laughs> the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And Tommy Lee Jones didn't win for his best performance. I mean, other than what Coal Miner's Daughter. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think he's. I don't. I don't know that he's ever been better than he was here. It's late. 
Yeah, he's, I'm so, old. he's fucking so good in this no. movie. Yeah, sorry, uh, listeners, you're gonna have to listen to us Google the Academy Awards. Oh, and also, and also, Robert De Niro and Silver Lang's playbook could perform. Fuck you, fuck yeah, that. Yeah, which is very, it's very an interesting performance. Oh my yeah. god, I never stopped talking about it. You know that moment where De Niro's like, "Hey, uh, what are you doing?" Is that O. Russell? Yeah, yeah. That motherfucker. Fuck that guy. <laughs> fuck that fucking piece of shit. <laughs> fucking loser. Fucking yeah. sexual assault pervert. <laughs> fucking loser. God, I hate that guy. Yeah. God, what a fucking dick. He's, he's also on the director's round table with Ridley that Dude, year. Dude, yeah. fuck you. And it's the funniest fuck shit you. in the world. Fuck off. He doesn't, he doesn't make good movies. He, he hasn't really, made no. good no. movies since time. the one time that he made a was good three movie. Three Kings? Yeah, Three Kings. Yeah, three kings. Yeah. Fuck you, man. Oh my god. I, I need to plug something that has nothing to do with us. The fighter. Everyone the go and watch the director's round table, table for that year with a Russell in a Rutu... Uh, yeah, uh, Ridley Scott, yeah, Tarantino, Bird, Birdman, and what is it? It's Jim? Birdman, Django. Which is the stupid, um, that doesn't even make any sense. It's Birdman, Django, maybe Joy, God, or American Hustle. American Hustle. Um, Her name's Joy, by the way. Martian. Yes. Well, hold on, if it's 2015, what are we talking about? What's his name's there too? Toby Hooper's there for Toby Hooper's not there. Tom Hooper's there. I'm sorry. Tom <laughs> yeah, Tom Hooper's Wait, there. My mistake. Is this, 20, this is 2015? 2015. Whatever that, year, yeah. Whatever that's, year. Why um, is Tarantino there? Hateful it was, Eight. It was. What was it? Hateful Eight or Django? I don't forget. Hmm? It, it, yeah, Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight. Oh okay. God, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. of course. But yeah, there's uh, yeah. All Hateful those... Eight. In your read two for Revenant. Was it Martian. Yeah, Martian. Awful movie. Uh, Martian. Yeah, all of it is basically just a bunch of a bunch of guys <laughs> sucking their own dick, <laughs> and, and then Ridley Scott and Tarantino <laughs> sucking Ridley He's Scott's dick. dick, and Ridley Scott going, "Man, I wish someone would refill my vodka right now." <laughs> it's the best hour. It's so good. It's because oh. so that's good. the one. I mean, the quote that we return to all the time. We 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 quoted this all throughout the making of the end of history. Where Inyaritu says, "What do you do, man? Do like say healthy?" And he goes, "I don't know. I like red wine and vodka." Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 all of them struggling to understand how Ridley Scott remains like as prolific as he is because he's got like twenty years on all the other guys at the table. Yeah, because I mean, he started directing in what sixty five, right? right. And, but it's, which is un fucking I have to say, just so your listeners don't, you know, whatever. Like, I, obviously, I Ridley Scott paid off all my student loan debts because he bought my dad's book and he's producing it for Apple TV. So I have to get that out of the way. That's true. But at the same time, he's a better filmmaker than ninety percent of everybody who's out there. And I would have said that before. Before he did that, so right. <laughs> it doesn't right. fucking matter to me. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. A yeah. yeah it's not for, yeah. Yeah. for once. Yeah, no, I happen to agree with the guy <laughs> who would have been buying my silence. But also, really, Scott doesn't give a shit because if he did, he would have reached out and. The, but, but the thing is, he would to, encourage this. To, to tie it back to all of this. Yes, I I think that Spielberg's sensibility is the same. I yeah. think it's no, you you just make the movie. Yeah, it doesn't. Just make you don't the have movie. to 
sit yeah. there You're and, not and important. philosophize on your artistry no. and, and uh, your approach and yeah. all that shit. I don't know if that relates to that roundtable, but I think that goes to that philosophy of no revisionism. That just this, the history yeah, right. can can tell itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That it can speak for itself. And you need a brilliant screenwriter like Kushner to, to, to write these words. And you need a brilliant cast like the ensemble we have here that can speak them. Two more things, and then we'll go. Do we have any favorite performances In that are Lincoln? out? Yeah. Oh, damn. Um, <laughs> Ever. I mean, it's not <laughs> movies. Russell. Yeah. <laughs> In Lincoln, let's see. Yeah. Well, I was, I was Karen Black in Lincoln. Uh, I, I was commenting on David Strait right there. earlier because I, I think he's like a beautiful, quiet tentpole of the movie. Yes, um, a no, sta- is, staggering, is staggering the, presence. Yeah, he is the anchor yeah. that kind of, you know, yeah. he's so because like obviously Day Lewis, but like and obviously Tommy Lee Jones, but I think that like That's, if we can get out of the way that Daniel Lewis, Tommy Lee Jones are the and Samuel, Sally Field, yeah. Those are your. You know, I think your, if Strayhorn had one or two more scenes, he would have also gone a nomination. I mean, you're probably right. Yeah. Frankly, they both yeah. would have been in their rights yeah. to get Sally Field, it. who we haven't mentioned. Oh my Sally gosh. Field is, is who had done a few movies in a few years, so you know, like it was, was brought kind of a into this. To form yeah, kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right about that. Um, I I love Hal Holbrook in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Walton Goggins in this. I like David Costabile, who was Gail Bedecker. Yeah. Um, or Castabular, however you say and, that. And all, and all, of course, Lee Pace. Lee Pace. All the... Uh, Peter McRobbie. That's the problem with the movie is I know, I know. We can, we can keep going with this. Peter McRobbie. Michael Stuhlbarg. Yeah, Michael yeah. Stuhlbarg is so good. Spouts for women. Spader. I... Yeah. <laughs> Peter, Peter McRobbie going, Intermarriage! <laughs> Stevens, yeah. so good. Yeah, everyone like, really okay, okay. Tim Blake Nelson, James Spader, of course, is fantastic. Okay, Spader is. I is love, my, of course, my my yeah. homeboy Jared Harris as Ulysses Grant doing such a good job. I mean, what something that something that fascinates me about Harris? We've covered uh, certain women in completely different uh, aspects of, of just like yeah. how to approach a character, yeah. not only just the actor itself. Well, like, um. I mean, it's something that really tickles me about Hal Holbrook. Oh, we get so we give him this. we give him the nomination a few years earlier, four or five years earlier, for, earlier for Into the Wild, and yeah. we're like, okay, well, this is you know like it's honoring like honoring the career, exactly. you know, it's like the legacy and nomination. Then he shows, up here. It shows up here, yeah, exactly, exactly. And he's just yeah. as brittle and awesome as he always was. <laughs> well, it's funny, that, like Hal Holbrook is so awesome because when you look back at like the early performances that were supposedly. <laughs> Awarding him for in you know the whole body of work, you know, and it's like the fog where he's like, right, right. "You must kill us," you know, like he's doing insane work in those movies. He wasn't just like some guy who's putting in dependable work; he was swinging for the fucking fences every single time. Yeah, and I love how Holbrook. I think oh. he's the fucking king. Yeah. Oh my god, I love this kid too. Yeah. Plays, you know, Gulliver McGrath yeah, here. Basically, everyone was on equal footing in this except Joe Gordon. I know. Joe Gordon Levitt was an embarrassment yeah. should retire. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Mr. Corbin. Yeah, I know. Uh, sorry. sorry, Mr. Corbin. Sorry, Mr. Corbin is my new hit song. That's so funny. And Adam Driver is doing backup vocals on yeah. like, 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 nice. <laughs> Please, Mr. Kennedy. Oh, oh. Please, Mr. Corbin. <laughs> Before I circle the drain here, <laughs> <laughs> check the other final questions. Yeah, I was gonna say, 
Since well, uh, if, you had, if you had to pick one for right. the whole movie, what do you think? I, I'm picking Spader. That's Spader, I mean, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you. I think Spader, Boris MacGyver, I think is really good as Kofroth. Um, but I think Spader, honestly, is the one, really. Yeah. I mean, like, Spader, Spader and Day-Lewis are kind of, the, I mean, like, but Tommy, I don't know, Tommy Lee Jones is so fucking good. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to go, I would, I'm going to go with the unawarded, or the unrecognized performance in... David Strathairn because David Strathairn like, is so good. Just yeah. because yeah. No, you're right. he's yep. he's the uh he's the Leo McGarry in yes! the movie. Yes. He's he's I'm Secretary of State. Yeah, he's yeah. just kind of quietly <laughs> behind the scenes supporting Agreed. like and, and questioning him and like mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I love him. I love an actor that kinda shows up and hits every mark perfectly. Yeah. And no one, you don't notice. Yeah, yeah. Like, I like uh, Bruce McGill too as the Secretary of, uh, <laughs> of, of Defense. Here. Bruce McGill, incredibly Bruce reliable. McGill, yeah, the best shit ever. Well, him and the Insider is like the fucking first. Yeah. There. Uh, speaking, I mean, speaking. And he got left. <laughs> so what? Uh, oh. And of course, like you, you mentioned, people like uh, James Spader and Wall Goggins who don't show up in to an hour in, but yet their presence they're still felt important. when yeah. they're off screen. And I think it's. Yeah. It's it's worth mentioning Adam Driver once more, Adam we've, Driver, who we've talked who we've talked about a bunch because we're bound I to. Mean, Jeremy and he's talking Jeremy Strong, yeah. Oh my gosh, a bunch, yeah. Uh, and then all that's left here is favorite scene, where we that's end every tough, episode. Man. I think I gotta go with when they finally have like done all their work and everything, and they're in the cabinet room, and Danny Lee Lewis says to them. He slams the table. No, that's it. That's it. I mean, that's really. <laughs> that's that's my it. Favorite too. That's he knocks end, his glasses yes, and he's an end this pestilential war. And he says, "Buzzards guts." Man. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm the president. Clothes the clothes in immense power. power. Yeah, that's you will thing. procure me those votes. Well, you got a night and a day and plenty of perfectly good hours to do it. So get the hell out of here. Because it's <laughs> at the same time, it's like, you know, the the Oscar clip scene, but then. The buzzard's guts stuff buzzard guts. Because immediately David humanizes yes. it back down to like, no, it's not just an Oscar monologue. It's, it's like, it's, no, it's a man at the end of his rope. rope exactly. Yeah. Because David Castavale says to him, he says, yes, but how? Yeah. And that's yes. what brings out buzzard's yes. guts. Yeah. Because another, I mean, you could, you could point to, I mean, you could put this scene right here as the Oscar clip where he's yes. like, you know. Yes, I thought I was in my rights to do it. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, yeah. yeah. <sighs> Two things. I think it's interesting that we bring up Oscar clips, of course. Uh, with when Dan Lewis won won the Oscar, uh, did he win for Lincoln? He won for Lincoln, making for him, him uh, like one of the most winning. That's that's three. My left foot. There, there will be blood. blood and Lincoln. And, Lincoln, and then when uh, um, uh, Meryl Streep uh, spoke his she name for for, for, for she won for Mamma Mia, Mamma Mia, here we go again, <laughs> the Iron Lady. Is that right? Yeah, for the war crime known as the Iron Lady, um, she, she, so she, she, she awarded him the, the Oscar. And one of my favorite jokes that, because Dan Lewis is a very funny person, but it's such a deadpan delivery that he says, Spielberg was joking that I would play Margaret Thatcher and Meryl Streep would play Abraham Lincoln. That's very funny. Like, love Daniel D. Lewis, one of my favorite actors. But also, um, that idea of the Oscar clip, it goes back to your initial thesis of like, the staying power and yes. how long Spielberg is going to hold a shot. I mean, that's when you close off scenes mm-hmm. even more so to when you're like, well, that's the movie. But then it's just like, no, there's a few seconds more to exactly. then like it's not, bring it's out. Not it's inertia. Right, it's right. that the moment lasts longer than yeah, that because yeah. 
even the moment wasn't a guarantor, which is the whole point of this movie. Yes, yeah. anything could It's fascinating. Be, yeah. It is fascinating. Yeah. And I think that really what we can all agree on is that Bohemian Rhapsody deserves all those Oscars. It, it's one... <laughs> He's in love with my mother in the car. The sitcom that lasted for so many memorable seasons. We all love my mother in the car. You've had no defections from the Republican right to trouble you. Whereas to what you promised, where the hell are the commissioners? You, you lied to me, Mr. Lincoln. You evaded my request for a denial that, that there is a Confederate peace offer because, because there is one, we are absolutely guaranteed to lose the whole thing. And we don't need we'll a goddamn abolition amendment. Itself. No. Leave the Constitution what alone. The peace commissioners what? appear today or, or state worse, by state on the morning. I can't listen to this anymore. I can't accomplish a goddamn thing of any human meaning or worth until we cure ourselves of slavery and end this pestilential war. And whether any of you or anyone else knows it, I know I need this. This amendment is that cure. We're stepped out upon the world stage now, now with the fate of human dignity in our hands. Blood's been spilled to afford us this moment. Now, now, now. And you grousel and heckle and dodge about like pettifogging Tammany Hall hucksters. See what is before you. See the here and now. That's the hardest thing. The only thing that accounts. Abolishing slavery by constitutional provision, settles the fate for all coming time. Not only of the millions now in bondage, but of unborn millions to come. Two votes stand in its way. These votes must be procured. We need two yeses, three abstentions, four, Four yeses and, and one more abstention, and the amendment will pass. You got a night and a day and a night and several perfectly good hours. Now get the hell out of here and get them. Yes. But how? Buzzards, God's man. I am the President of the United States of America, clothed in immense power. You will procure me these votes. It's, it's either that or it's, and it's no, it's that. Because I was going to say that 
The only other scene that, I mean, I love this entire movie, but I love the montage of... You like everything that when it starts from the title card to when it goes to directed by Steve Spielberg. I truly do. I mean, until he's walking out of the White House. I love love the, like, little montage of Spader and and them, them kind of going around, like... Offering bribes. Yeah, messing yeah. with all the all the Nelson and stuff. But no, it, Riddle, it's yeah, it's Buzzard's it's guts because it, it's Buzzard's just gut. so like Buzzard's guts. It's <laughs> it's so good. It's just so good. It's so fucking it's good. It's so good. I like it. I've seen this movie a thousand, a thousand times. times. I still like it. Chills from it. Oh, God, of him. The president's never to be mentioned, nor I. You're paid for your discretion. Well, you can have that for nothing. What we need money for is bribes. Speed things up. No, nothing strictly illegal. It's not illegal to bribe congressmen. They starve otherwise. I have explained to Mr. Bilbo and Mr. Latham that we're offering patronage jobs to the Dems who vote yes. Jobs, and nothing more. That's correct. Congressmen come cheap. A few thousand bucks will buy you all you need. The president would be unhappy to hear you did that. <laughs> well, will he be unhappy if we lose? The money I managed to raise for this endeavor is only for your fees, your food, and lodging. Uh-huh. If that squirrel-infested attic you've quartered us in is any measure, you ain't raised much. Should we get to work? I, I love episodes like these to where I have a certain recollection of them. And I remember a lot of details, but couldn't point, pinpoint the finer things about them. And now I, I grew to love this one even more in the context of uh, where we are in Spielberg right now. And to, to look at this one, and honestly, that I still think it's pretty underrated. I agree. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, as much as that word still has meaning, I think that you're right. Or overlooks. Right, maybe that's I mean, a little better. I know, whatever, yeah. whatever, the, whatever the word is. Yeah, right, you know, right, right. Like, I, don't, yeah. I don't mean to be coy, and I certainly think that, you know, you're on to something that we, the, the, the thing could have more substance yeah. to it as a cultural artifact vis-a-vis everybody else's opinion than it does. I think the movie speaks for itself. You think the movie speaks for itself. Jack, I hope you also agree. I do. Yeah, I know. But that's, you know, now that's us. Yeah. It's the culture that then gets to take the thing and run with it. I think ultimately when, and I like, I'm, I don't even want to say it, when he's gone, I think people will understand. I think people will understand every movie of his yeah. that they that they took for granted. Do you have a favorite scene, Jack? The uh, conversation between Mary Todd and, uh, and Abraham Lincoln. When they talk about their son, when he says, "I, could, I should have clapped you in the goddamn madhouse," or when yeah. he says, "Yes, yes, uh, yes that, yes, that one." Or it's, one. it's, it's too, too hard. It's too hard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, both are great. Yeah. Both are fucking fantastic. Yeah, because because he lets his guard down. He's like, "I'm missing my son too." Yes. And it's just it's yes, sort I, of the this, reason that I so inexhaustible grief. You're right. inexhaustible grief. Yes. The reason I couldn't tolerate your grieving, Mary Todd, is because I couldn't permit it in myself. You'll be an adjutant running messages for General Grant. The war will take our son. A sniper, a shrapnel shell, a typhus. Same as took Willie, it takes hundreds of boys a day. He'll die uselessly, and how will I ever forgive you? Most men, their firstborn is their favorite. You, you've always blamed Robert for being born, for trapping you in a marriage that's only ever given you grief and caused that's you regret. simply not true. And if the slot of cold harbors on your hands, same as Grant, God help us, we'll pay for the oceans of spilt blood you've sanctioned, the uncountable corpses. We'll be made to just, pay with our sons. Just this <laughs> once, Mrs. Lincoln, I demand of you to try and take the liberal and not the selfish point of view. Robert will never forgive himself. You imagine he'll forgive us if we continue to stifle this 
very natural ambition. And if I refuse to take the high road, if I won't pick up the rough old cross, will you threaten me again with the madhouse as you did when I couldn't stop crying over Willie when I showed you what heartbreak, real heartbreak looked like and you hadn't the courage That's to countenance right. to help That's me. Right. When you refused so much as to comfort Tad, the child who was not only sick, dangerous. All under the earth. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. I'm gonna bury you underground, you Bury you underground, Mary Todd. I'm gonna find you, Representative Ashley, wherever you are, I'm gonna cut your throat. This is my son. Who, who is in this? Yes! <laughs> yeah. 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 It's yeah. yeah, yeah. H.M. Telford is also in blonde, and we talked about that too. Yeah, we're oh my god. You look like a fool, <laughs> don't you, Sidney? I'm a prejudiced man, Mr. Lincoln. Well, I'd cure you and that if I could. Slavery, you boy. Good God. This episode's gonna be yeah. polarizing. <laughs> this, this is my blonde. Oh, good. Yeah. This is your blonde. This is the reason your blooming blonde. Oh, Do you, what is the reason for this thusness? Um, we're whalers, Mr. Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> so Man's never been near a whaling ship in his life. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, let's go All get right. a beer yeah. and we'll send you both home. <laughs> Well, thank th thank you guys for thank you for, thank you yeah, for coming thank you. over yeah. for Christ's sake. Oh my gosh, thank you. No, no, no. I, I, can't, I can't use any of this. Edit, edit out the part where we're racists if you could. That would be great for us and our public opinion. Uh, oh my gosh. Well, yeah. Where can everybody find you on online and? Well, we're on Twitter. If you right, we're, feel like a headache. <laughs> We'll, we'll plug in the history. We'll, I mean, well, here's the thing. Here's the I, thing. I, I know you two are bigots online. But we're, we're bigots <laughs> online. We're bigots <laughs> Japan. If I'm on Trump's social media platform, that's right. And that's it. That's right. We're on freedom. <laughs> we're on freedom media. Whatever that's called. Yeah, most of you can find us saying, "Good work, Mr. President. You're looking great, sir." Under until you're back. Can't wait till you come back, sir. You're looking so good, sir. Under every picture of him melting at a golf course. Um, <laughs> every time, every time Trump looks like absolute shit, he looks like human egg salad. You'll find us underneath of it going, "Good work, sir. You're really doing it." Hey, hey, Mr. Trump, sir, we love you're you. Crushing that white polo shirt. <laughs> you look so good. I mean, it. you're literally crushing it because you're enormous. Please, Mr. Kennedy, don't crush us. Don't. Please don't shoot me in the outer space. Pa -pa -pa please, Mr. Kennedy. Outer. Who, Space. Who wrote this? I, I did. I did. No, I, did. I, did. I, I did. I did. I did. Who wrote this garbage? Who wrote this shit? I did. I did. God. Well, that's another way we should say that... Justin Timberlake should have been... Lewin Davis, Davis and Lincoln have a lot in common as cozy <laughs> movies about people yes. avoiding destiny in the wintertime. We gotta yes. say that. I like that. I like that. Similar color palettes. Like yeah. That's true. That's true. I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna I, double I, bill it. Yeah. You should. I mean, they, like, obviously, Cohen's Imagine. and Spielberg are, have a lot in common. Um, you can... Okay, so... Tucker and I, this is a scoop for your podcast. We are about to start a series where we talk about the blocking in Spielberg films. We're doing a series where we go through all of the major Spielberg movies and we talk about the blocking in all of them. We're going to start this probably in late November, December. It's just a matter of finding time to do it, which is tough. Um, 
But that is our next big project. After the end of history, which we both stand by and love, uh, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people say, you made a huge mistake, please recant, please give it up, it's not too late, (laughs) please stop doing this, do anything you want to dig your own grave. And these are all things that I've said. Of course, yeah, to you, I mean, you know, and a lot of people echoed your sentiments, they said, please, for the love of God, stop it. I I got the ball rolling. this so fucking much. Every time we see Jackie, he throws darts at us. Yeah, Yeah, he keeps cleaning his gun like Cobra in front of us. Yeah, exactly. I stick kick me science your backs yeah yeah pizza with a scissor but <laughs> even even despite all that we decided to keep going after we persevere <laughs> we still persevere um, your resilience is admirable I guess. Ah, thank I you it. so yeah. much you know nobody said that but i believe it um and so that's what we're doing next we're doing a, a whole series of blocking and spielberg films which is why we ultimately wanted to talk to you about lincoln because this shit is important to us because the the relationship between the camera and the space and the actor is kind of the crux of American filmmaking, certainly. So we want to, yeah. we want to, we want to kind of hone in on that. We're very excited to do I it. I mean, that makes that, that makes me really happy just to just to hear that this project is on the horizon and we have Fablements to look forward exactly, to. Um, exactly. This, I mean, Fablements is probably. I mean, you know, a huge part of our excitement for this mm-hmm. project is the idea that he's currently he's blocked shots we haven't seen yet. You yeah, know? like that's yeah, that's very cool for yeah. us. Absolutely. I mean, I, I can't plug anything. I, I'm I'm kind of hoping I'm kind of hoping that really Scott. So you're blacklist. The pl- I'm James Spader's the blacklist. I'm James Spader's the blacklist. I, I, I'm, I'm really hoping that Ridley Scott's uh, Napoleon film is um, worth a look because I I would love to kind of look at that and Top Gun Maverick a little bit Ooh. in like a weird bonus. Absolutely. I mean, honestly, yeah. If, if if Napoleon is as good as we imagine it to be, and the other thing, you know, obviously, I got to do fucking something about the Ridley Scott directed episodes of my dad's book. Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, we have to do something. Yeah. We have to fucking do something. So there's more coming. So there's more end of history on the horizon, but, you know, let's we're looking to other things that we're not just going to keep riding Ridley and Tony yeah. for the rest of our yeah. lives. That would be funny. <laughs> it would be good. Like, you I mean, find the you... sweatiest connections to, to insert <laughs> yeah, Tony Ridley. Right. But no. You um, know, we just watched it... an episode of uh, fucking, you know, Spotlight or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, but uh, last time you guys were on, the news about Ridley and uh, your dad yes. hadn't come out. I mean, No, it hadn't come out. I mean, when we, when we talked yeah. last time, it was we knew that it was kind of in the works, but we yeah, still yeah, went ahead yeah. with the mildly critical episode anyway, because yeah. who gives a shit? You only live once. Um, but no, yeah, my dad's book, Dope Thief, has been bought by Apple TV and Ridley Scott and Peter Craig, who, of course, wrote the story for Top Gun Maverick. Um, and it's uh, my dad's book, which I love a lot. Um, is called It's called Dope Thief, and it's about... Low-level drug dealers in Philadelphia who are ripping off drug houses all over the Philadelphia area. Um, and it's written about places that I grew up seeing everywhere, you know, all over Bucks County and all this stuff. So Ridley's directing the first two episodes. I think Peter Craig is probably directing the finale. Um, Peter Craig wrote it. Um, Brian Tyree Henry's in it. Michael Mando from Better Call Saul is in it. Marianne Jean-Baptiste was just cast as uh, Brian Tyree Henry's mom, which is very exciting. It's going to be... It's One of my be, favorite films ever, Secrets and Lies. That's, great yeah, fucking yeah. performance. Great fucking movie. I mean, yeah. she was good in a very... In a not very good Apple TV series called Surface not mm. long ago. In Fabric. Great. In yeah. Fabric. Yeah. Oh my God. God. In, oh, yeah. she's so fucking good in that. And a that. weird connection to yeah. Lincoln. Oh, a uh, connection back to Tony, uh, Spy Game. 
Isn't Peter Craig yeah, yeah. John Batiste? The son. That's right. Peter Craig yeah. is, is 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 yeah. Sally Field's kid. Yeah. yeah. And of course, Spy Game. Yeah. Like you're saying, yeah. You're yeah. right. It's there are a million connections. There are all these. It was really like the like this perfect weird yes. kind of you know bow tie around all the shit that you and Tucker and I have been obsessed with forever and ever and ever. Yeah. It was really edifying, especially because my dad's been hard at work at that. He raised three kids and he managed to write three books. At, you know, concurrently and all. It's just, we're all very proud of yeah. him. We're all very happy for him. My dad loves the movie Alien and he loves the movie Blade Runner. I remember my mom buying Blade Runner on DVD when DVD was new. Like, this is all, this is all really important stuff to yeah. us. He had, he for had sure. Alien on VHS, he had Blade Runner on VHS. These, these things mattered and, and it's just, uh, like, I couldn't be happier for him. I couldn't be prouder of him. Really, really happy for, for this, for this to, to get the ball rolling in this process. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's gonna be really, cool. really cool. Yeah. Uh, story in everyone's lives. I can be found on Twitter reluctantly at Jack A. Draper. I'm <laughs> at Letterbox Jack Draper Seven. Uh, I have words on on reviews and Jack One Through Six. Jack One Through Six. Yeah, exactly. Uh, on the Best and Hassle, I have reviews. Uh, this movie isn't streaming anywhere. Usually, I shout out Lincoln where movies are streaming, streaming, which is shocking because uh, it's been on every streaming platform. Yeah, which is fascinating. Like just to anyway, I'm sure it'll. Discs. It'll be brought back into circulation, but absolutely, it's available. You know, it's it was an Oscar play. Um, <laughs> and next time we're covering Leslie Headland's Bachelorette with Charlie Nash and Bryden like Doyle. That was that and was Kevin Tudor. I think Rachel, you know some of them. I was gonna say my my, yeah. my my friend Rachel Thompson loved the movie Bachelorette when we yeah. were shooting the movie Under Me. You she that's was, right. We watched. She was it. watching Bachelorette over and over again. Because, and there's a quote, I put this in the movie that I made about Rachel, where Adam Scott gives Lizzie Kaplan the pancakes. He says, and yours have a smi- have a frowny face on them, because the world is an asshole. <laughs> and Rachel quoted that to me a number of times. I will always have mad respect for Leslie Headland because of that, because my dear friend Rachel Thompson, who's no longer with us, rest in peace, oh. loved that movie, and loved Leslie Headland, and so, it, yeah. So, that's... That's, yeah. that's very cool to hear. I cannot wait for that one. I love Russian Doll and Sleeping With Other People, Same. but I have not seen that one. And it'll be the first time for us to have three guests on the show. Guys, thank you again for, for coming on. Thanks so, for having us. We, we will have you dozens more times anytime. to make a damn fool, to be fools with you guys. We <laughs> love it. We love it. I love it. Okay. Thanks, man. Yeah. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.